Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is Wednesday, June the 14th, 2023. Are you changing our intro? Well, I, I mean, I'm technically, where, where do I have to be? Okay, there I am. Now I'm set. Okay. Perfect. Uh, hi, all. It is Wednesday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And now you have finally settled into Asheville. How's everything going over there? It's really good. I just watched this whole family of deer walk right by. They just walked right by. There's a bunch of apples on this property where I'm staying. And I think that that's, that's a big thing. That's a what big thing. Um, there are these small green, they're teeny green looking things like, but they look like little miniature apples. Uh, I think that's what they're into. I don't think it's me and it's definitely not Lulu. Well, (laughs) at least that's a good thing. Well, let's not waste any time because one of my absolute favorite people in politics, not just because he's a great human being, but because he went uh, to great lengths, uh, when no one knew who Jen was to give her a platform because what she was doing was right back in 2019. And for that, I will always be grateful and always be grateful for staying principled on almost everything as it relates to left politics. Mike Figueredo of the Humanist Report, welcome back as always to Generational Change. Hi, thank you so much for the invite. I'm so happy to be back. Nice to see you both. Hey Mike, how are you? I am doing well, how are you both? We're doing good. I'm in the mountains, so all is good. Okay, that's good. That sounds much better than uh, elsewhere. South Florida in the summer? You mean South Mm, Florida in the summer mm, doesn't sound mm. fun? That doesn't Uh, sound fun, no. Anywhere in Florida doesn't sound fun, if I'm being 100%. There is that. (laughs) You totally don't know what you're talking about. It's really great, and believe me, I'm totally safe here, so you like that. Uh, You can go from having an afternoon where it's like 95 and super humid to just torrential downpour and then right back Mm -hmm. again. And and let's not forget about the bugs that bite. So, you know, one thing about being on the West Coast, you don't really have that problem that you have down here. That's true. Uh, It's a real pain in the bum. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not a bug person, so I am happy to be where I am um, because, yeah, don't really like the the bitey creatures. I would not be happy with that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I definitely am a magnet for them. There's no question about it. Ugh, I hate that. Jen, remind Mike why Oregon is one of your favorite places in the United States. Well, he knows. Well, you've got not just legalized everything at this point mm-hmm. that matters, but you have death with dignity. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, to me, I always figure if I'm retiring, that's what I'm looking for is legalized cannabis and death with dignity. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. It. Oh, Sorry. I don't know if you can hear me. Yes, yes everything's fine. Jen's going to have a little bit of a of a slow glitch on her end because of the in Western North Carolina in the Appalachian region. There's you know spotty you know connection. She's oh, I fine, see. But it's a it's a delay. Of I light. hear you. I hear you just fine. Oh, we're all good. Okay. Whenever there's a technical issue, I assume it's me. No, definitely not. Uh, no, I was going to say that I remember the death with uh, dignity debate when I was very, very young. It was like in the ni- early 90s. And I remember that my parents were very much in favor of it because it was just like a it was a human rights issue. Right. If you are in pain and you're suffering, then you should be allowed to end your life in a very peaceful way and, you know, be able to plan out the end of your life. Um, so I always kind of was ra- was raised with this um support for it because it it just kind of feels like a no-brainer to me um 
because it's it, it should be an option everywhere. That's not to say that like it's a pleasant thing to think about, but I mean like if you're in this situation to where you're at the end of your life and you're in pain, I feel like it's just really cruel to force that person to exist in pain. Um, it's it's a bizarre stance. So I'm, I'm very much in agreement with you there. Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up all of the stuff with Jack Kevorkian um, and all of what he went through at the time and all he was trying to do was death with dignity. And it's like it, always the people that are on the start, you know, the front end of things always get it the worst. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's a really, um, in a lot of ways, death with dignity is a great uh, connector to the issue with abortion. And the whole idea of, as I often have this conversation with any of my close friends that are, you know, politically on the right, is you really are having a hard time squaring that circle about the separation of church and state because there is such a undue degree of influence that the church has, particularly with the GOP, where on the one hand, you're trying to espouse this live and let live, libertarian, if you will, type of lifestyle. And yet when it comes to the social environment that we're living in today, they really don't think that those rules apply when it comes to what the church wants. And I just don't understand how they can justify that circumstance when it goes completely against what their real principles are. I think it's just one of those where, where it's, it's a means to an end of winning elections. But honestly, the hypocrisy just kind of knows no bounds. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a straight up contradiction. You know, no ifs, ands or buts about it. I, I feel like as of late, I haven't heard much of the we're against big Goberman rhetoric from the Republicans, <laughs> because especially within the last year or so, they just you can't with a straight face say that. Like, I get that they're hypocritical and they're brazen, but even for them, there's got to be limits, right? So for them to make this argument that we support small governments in 2023, it just, it's not going to fly. Even their own base is smart enough to know, at least I hope so, that they don't believe in that. It's government that is small enough to fit inside your your body uh, and your home and they pick and choose things here and there, but for the most part, they're not in favor of maximizing freedom. Um, and certainly both parties have issues with regard to civil liberties, but the Republican party is just, they, I think they've just at this point devolved into full-blown authoritarianism. And that's really frightening. That's not to say that there aren't issues with the democratic party, but the Republican party is uh, just horrifying to look at. Yeah. I mean, we're at ground zero, you know, that just being in Florida, it's not it's not easy. And one of the biggest contradictions that I've been seeing lately that I find very telling, and this is specifically on the GOP side, this complete contradiction. So when it comes to banning books, getting rid of things like uh, th what really irks them is queer studies that were part mm -hmm. of the African-American um, studies curriculum. Just whatever their beef is, they, you know, you, you, they, you, whatever you want to call it, the don't say gay, all of that stuff. And they always say that the key thing behind that is parental choice, that parents should have the choice to control the information that their kids are getting and what their kids are exposed to regarding um, those matters regarding whatever we used to call sex ed. Okay, that's whatever. So that's parents' choice. However, ironically, those same people, when it comes to gender affirming care, have no regard whatsoever for the parents' choice. Same people, 
And now all of a sudden it's not the parents choice. Now it's somehow a whole group of people in Tallahassee's choice. Yeah, that that's such a fantastic point. Um, you know, it's crazy how they went from cancel culture bad to let's cancel everything, ban these books. It's it's so like the contrast between 2021 and 2022 and three is so stark. But yeah, you're making a phenomenal point. I mean, these are like what they're trying to micromanage are these really individual and personal healthcare decisions, you know, gender affirming care, uh, abortion, like the government has absolutely no business in these decisions. As Peter said, like this is about personal liberty, you know, and a lot of it comes down to ignorance. That's how they get support for these issues because, you know, you, you've seen, I've talked about these stories. I'm sure you both have seen it too. There's these stories of uh, Republican women who were anti-choice, but then realized, oh, wait, if I have a miscarriage, that's the same procedure as having an abortion. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, we need this. This is healthcare. And the light bulb kind of goes off. And the same is true with gender affirming care to where people don't actually know what that means. You know, they think that, oh, well, you know, if your kid who's seven years old uh, on Tuesday starts uh, saying that he's, he's a girl all of a sudden on Wednesday, we're going to, we're going to chop off his dick. It's so, it's such a caricature. Like it's cartoonishly uninformed and it's just very, uh, it's stupid. That's what it is because gender affirming care for like young kids just means, Hey, you let your kid be what they want to be. If, if you're, if you have a little boy you're and he wants to wear them, like, Mike, stop it. You're grooming them. Well, but you know, what's funny by their standards, I guess I was groomed as a kid as well. Um, like I wasn't sexually groomed to be clear, but by their standards, I was groomed because the only thing that I ever saw was heterosexuality. Like right. I remember my, my sisters bringing home boyfriends. And clearly and it didn't take. So it didn't work. They tried really that's hard. That's not how it happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, there were, there were scenes in movies that I watched that were PG 13 when maybe I was a little bit young where there would be uh sex scenes. Uh, I remember watching everybody loves uh, Raymond and friends as a kid, they would talk about sex a lot. I mean, can you imagine if like, an eight-year-old was watching some gay show where they were, you know, talking about sex in a comparable way would be outrageous, right? right? But I mean, what it comes down to is like the parents should be ultimately able to make these decisions. Okay, I think movie X and movie Y is appropriate, but, you know, this movie is not appropriate. Um, Because it it just, it's one of those things where you, you, you just can't micromanage. Like, even if you could establish just like across the board, thing that we all agree is uh bad like let's just say hypothetically speaking that like any kissing scene is bad how do you regulate that if you're a politician right you get into some very weird censorious territory so you know what the gop is doing here is they're embarking on territory that is explicitly authoritarian and i think that ultimately this will come back to bite them in the ass at some point not now because they're winning the culture war with regard to that issue uh but at some point like it's going to get it's going to become such a big issue that they're going to shoot themselves in the foot like i just put out a a video today talking about how um you know cis people are now getting misgendered by uh bigots um this happened to a cis woman uh, when she was in the bathroom last year it happened to a child in Kelowna, canada uh british columbia and she's just like a nine-year-old girl she was playing uh she was playing um or it was a track and field tournament or whatever but she had a pixie haircut and so this old man is like, hey, why are you letting boys compete? It's like, so if, if your little girl gets a haircut now, all of a sudden she's going to be transvestigated by these bigots. That's not going to fly. Like that's going to backfire because even people who are uh, bigoted and don't like trans people could be 
uh, the subject of transphobia, given the huge scale of it. So at some point, I think that people are going to realize that this is all nothing more than lies. I mean, the, yeah. the problem with the GOP is they have to base all of their policies uh, or all of their rhetoric on lies because it's just not true. Like when it comes to you know, gender affirming care. They have to pretend like, oh, this means mutilating children. Right. When it comes to LGBTQ education, they have to say, oh, well, you know what? That's grooming. So yeah. the hyperbole, mm-hmm. that only lasts so long. But once the spell of propaganda wears off, people wake up. Once people get to know a trans person, it's over for them. I mean, the same. we saw the same thing happen in the 2010s with gay people, right? My whole family, yeah. all homophobic. And then I came out and all of a sudden we love gay people. It just takes them knowing a gay person, right? Or knowing a trans person. And as soon as that happens, as more people come out, they're screwed. So, you know, I'm keeping that at the back of my mind in these dark times because I do believe that that is indeed the case. I think that we are ultimately going to have a more positive future with regard to this issue. But currently, it's really hard to be optimistic and for good reason. Yeah, especially here, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I I find it all extremely infuriating, quite honestly. And all of it is somewhat connected to me, whether it's like they're not allowing gender affirming care versus my right to bodily autonomy and the whole concept of that I'm having to discuss my body and my health care with you. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we discussing that? Why is that of interest to you? You're not interested in my spleen. You're not interested in any other organs of mine. Why are you so interested? And and here's what always fascinates me about the abortion issue in particular is why would anybody even know that I'm pregnant? If I go to my doctor and I want to have an abortion, how is anybody even entitled to know that I was pregnant in the first place? Like, why is that anybody's business? I don't know. Like this, but it's infuriating to me. Like, I'm just so over it at this point. I just can't even with these people. I also think that the other issue you have to consider is it's the fear of the unknown. That's always um, rural conservatism has always been known for that. That's not a new thing. Um, But the other problem is, you know, there there's the there's always the issue with the church where people suppress their real feelings. Um, That's true of a lot of religions, um, but it is very notorious, uh, as we know, in Catholicism. Um, where they basically tell you that you're a terrible person, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell, don't do this, and all the other, blah, 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 blah. The problem, the biggest problem that I can see, and this is, of course, as it relates to what we do respectively, is that somebody like Matt Walsh becomes sort of the prime example, the best example of a person who probably doesn't have an opinion one way or the other on the issue, probably doesn't really care, but found a way to make a lot of money on it. And once somebody figures out how they can curate it and market it properly to where now millions of people are paying attention to what he's saying, uh, ultimately, they're going to, like you said, this is, and Matt Walsh, again, I use him as an example because he's the biggest one. He's the biggest crusader, if you will, on this issue. Wait, is Uh, this the douchebag that was on Joe Rogan and saying the millions of people that are having, like the millions of children? Even though it's about five, even though it's like 5,000 people. The millions. But it's everybody. You know, it's a, a, you know what? One of the best people that we had volunteer on Jen's campaign is is trans. And Mm -hmm. if you ask her, it's like, can we please stop talking about this shit already? Like, it's just so unbelievably ridiculous. And you wouldn't know she was trans if you looked at her. So as far as I'm concerned, it It doesn't matter if you do. Like, if I look at someone and to me, I think they look trans. Okay. 
So that registers. This is it's so fascinating. People listen. It's really fascinating how you do this. So the thought registers in Jen's brain. Hmm. That person kind of looks trans. And then you know what I do? I decide to not say anything and mind my fucking business. That's Mm -hmm. what I do. That's that's the that's the way that it should be that because it's like um, like for one conservatives think that they know they don't know they don't know who is and isn't trans. I mean, there are so many cis people with, you know, qualities that don't line up with their like for me, I have a higher pitched voice. You know, this isn't necessarily masculine. My mom has the opposite. She has like a lower pitched voice and me and her joke that like we were swapped, like our voices got switched. Right. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, cis people, they don't always align with you know gender norms as well but the best what you said was um about your your volunteer was perfect we don't want to talk about this shit like for me like i'm a gay dude i don't remember that i'm gay until i'm reminded of it until there's like this you know legislation being passed and it's like right it's like oh yeah this could affect me damn but you know what really makes me so mad and why i think this is coordinated uh, well, it is coordinated, but why it's being coordinated is because think back to like 2015. We just got marriage equality, right? Obergefell yeah. B. Hodges. Trans people were really having their moment. There was visibility like we never saw. Laverne Cox and Orange is the New Black. And I hate her guts now, but Caitlyn Jenner coming out. That was still a big moment. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, what was the left collectively doing? We started to really be able to hone in on these economic issues, talk about Medicare for all, healthcare, the economy, living wage. But now the conservatives saw that and they thought, no, 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 we've got to go backwards. Let's ha- re- let's relitigate these issues that society already kind of moved on from, right? Yeah. And that's so frustrating because we can't like we can't just ignore them and lose the gains that we've made, and now we're going backwards. But they're keeping all of us in this state of just um, having to retread the water that we've already uh, crossed because. Uh, we have to, but um, what am I trying to say? Basically, if we didn't have to focus on this issue, if we could move on from social issues because we know how this is going to go, they're going to lose and we're going to win, then we could start focusing on other issues. You know, so it's it's really frustrating because these uh, these conservatives bankrolled, you know, the propagandists bankrolled by economic elites, they love to see people butt heads because it distracts from them at the top, right? Oh yeah, but. How do you get people to butt heads, right? You can't, it's hard to gin up outrage over, you know, people on welfare or immigration. I mean, they do it, right? But it's really working if you could find some really really weird niche issue uh, and sell people on it. And it's worked with regard to trans issues because they've been able to convince people who don't, who's never met a trans person, don't even know what that is probably that, oh, these kids are being mutilated when that's not even the case. So like, this is all it serves the economic elites. And while they, they have us fighting for basic human rights and basic dig- dignity for trans people, like they're just still robbing us blind. And the people who vote for the Republican party are perfectly fine with that. Yeah. With, with that said, the same could be true for voting for the democratic party, depending on who in the democratic party you're voting for, because the two party system is designed to ensure that whatever the working class agenda is, will always be crushed. Whether that is a means to, you know, crushing Bernie's movement or, you know, the squad attempting to do something once they got into Congress, particularly AOC. And so here we are right now in a very unique period where the current president is extremely unpopular. The former president is probably even more unpopular and obviously is dealing with legal issues. And then you look at the periphery of all the other people who are potentially trying to get involved right now. How do you see the landscape unfolding? Because obviously, 
uh, we can all agree in terms of the most impactful surrogates that Bernie had on his campaign both times, Dr. West is at the top of the list. I mean, he's mm-hmm. right there with Nina. You know, when people, if you're going to go to a rally and you're going to hear Bernie speak, but you have a list of like, but who else would I really want to hear give a speech? Well, Dr. West is at the top of the list as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's mm-hmm. had the pleasure of hearing him one time. Love to hear him again. Jen, of course, couldn't uh, keep it together when she met him that one it time. embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to really negate that. We're just not. He feels that it's a time where this is an attempt to do this uh, outside of the two-party system. Now, Jen and I were talking about this earlier today. Um, if you're going to run in the Green Party, which, again, we don't even have to litigate him attempting to run in the People's Party. That's t- no. totally we're gonna We're going to have a little fun with that. I think later. most people agree with that already, where it's like, OK, come on. I'm glad that that's over. <laughs> When, oh, Jen ran, when Jen ran against Debbie, she made it very clear that, especially that first run, it is almost impossible to win. Mm-hmm. So you can't run with this idea that I'm running to be a candidate who's going to beat Debbie. No, you have to run with a movement in mind in terms of what type of change you want to enact. So like now, because of the fact we've built the show, we've built a presence locally, we're able mm-hmm. to become one of the main hubs in Broward County for the ballot petitions for abortion rights in the state of Florida next year. And so Hmm. that's just one example of the things that can happen if you're willing to put skin in the game, not just as I'm Cornell West, I'm running for president on the Green Party ticket. If the Greens have any intention and whoever is going to follow him, and there will be a lot that will, if the goal here is to turn this into something that even if you're not going to win, what is the goal of this particular run? Is it to get 5%? Frankly, if you are running, let's say, in a state like California, are you going to get ranked choice voting on the ballot? To me, this will only work if it is a collective plan, not just him running. How do you see it? Yeah, I think that there definitely has to be more, um, especially for these third-party campaigns. Um, if it's just about running for president, then it's not going to go nowhere. So there has to be some real substance behind it. Um, I'll be honest, over the years, I've gotten increasingly cynical, which is a bad thing, but I just don't see electoral politics really yielding much change at this point, just in general. Um, it, It just, the reality is very sad to think about because it's like, well, we have fascist Republicans who are trying to kill democracy and they are trying to do an actual genocide against trans people or we have Democrats who just won't do as much bad stuff, won't do genocide against trans people. That is a very, very dark future. Those are the two options, right? Well, and could I add, the the, the, the current Democrats won't do tra- um, genocide against trans people, but they'll genocide the environment in Alaska. They'll genocide yeah. the railroad workers. You know, it's like we're, 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 we're like picking we're like between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, it, 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 we have to also be very... Um, thankful to Joe Biden for being, I guess, like the most left president in our lifetimes. Uh, I mean, okay. I mean, very low standards here, very low bar. Um, He just busted up a union strike or busted up a strike from the railroad in uh, November. So, you know, I, I hate Democrats and um, I hate Republicans even more, 
But at this point, I don't think that a third party, unless they really like in non-election years, try to use that organizational capacity to get electoral reform at the state level. I I just feel like it's not going to go anywhere. And this was my thinking before, like in 2016, I thought, okay, we've got Hillary and Trump. These are the most unpopular candidates ever. So if ever there's going to be a chance where, you know, the Green Party, for example, can hit 5%, this is going to be the year. Yes. Jill Stein only got like one or 2%. I can't remember how much. So that to me, um, it kind of shattered my reality where, you know, or shattered the illusion, I should say, and brought me back to reality where it's like, okay, I thought that we could maybe start to overcome Duverger's law by sheer force of will, but we, we just, we have to do electoral reform. Um, and, and, you know, you see a lot of people that are just so frustrated, rightfully so, because you have two parties. They're both terrible. One's genocidal. One is just useless. They just keep the seat warm. You know, that's nefarious on one hand and feckless on the other. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, And it's like, I, I get the need to want to create more, more parties, but we have hundreds of political parties already across the country. And, you know, if you, if you genuinely care about a third party, then the green party, they are the one that's going to be on the ballot. Right. So creating new parties like people's party, not to relitigate that, um, it's not going to do anything, but really what I what I want people to focus on is the reality and the necessity of electoral engineering. We need electoral reform. And it really frustrates me because back in like after 2016, um, there was a really good bill by Don Byers. Uh, it was H.R. 4000. I don't think he's reintroduced it. And this bill would have gotten um, basically electoral, like I don't want to say electoral reform, but it would have reshaped the landscape in this country. It would have instituted a uh, ranked choice voting nationwide. It would have um, had independent uh, districts or commissions redraw districts. And the most important thing is it would change our district magnitude, which means that instead of all of us just having like one candidate that we vote for, we would elect maybe two three, possibly four, depending on the district. Now, the reason why that matters is because like, if I'm, if I'm in a red district and I, I vote uh, Democrat, well, the Republican wins and the Democrat loses. So if I'm a Democrat, I get no representation at all. Right. But if I'm in a district and we have three representatives now, well, you'd have a Democrat, a Republican, perhaps another third party candidate, perhaps two Democrats, perhaps two Republicans. It just changes it. So that way the representation is more proportional. And that's what we need. And I won't lie, like electoral reform is very difficult. Japan effectively had a one party system, right? And so they enacted electoral reform and they finally had a new party get elected. And then they kind of went back to a one party system. And even if you tr- you do um, what you need to, to reformulate the institution. So you have multiple parties that still doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the result that you want. For example, in South Africa, they have district magnitudes in some districts as high as 20, probably higher than 20. And they're effectively a one party system. Uh, ANC is the main party that gets elected every single time. And they're kind of like Democrats in the sense that, you know, people look to them as the ones who delivered them from apartheid. So there's some cultural issues that also play. So like, even if we were to just copy and paste a different system, like for me, I always look to Germany, even though there's issues there too, right? But they have about five to six parties. Um, If you were to copy and paste that here in the United States, 
there are cultural factors that that worry me. Like, I think that people are so loyal to Democrats and Republicans, like how many people would move over? Now, we see like the polls about how many people are dissatisfied and they want an independent. Um, but what is that going to look like? Like, if we have a more proportional system, does that mean we just have like three parties where, you know, you have right, left, center? Because what we really need is like five, six parties. Like, we need to actually be able to have full full representation. Like I want a communist party. I want a socialist party. Yeah. Like I want to see real left-wing competition. I want to see a green party that's viable, potentially get into a governing coalition. And we need a parliamentary system, which is basically not possible at this point. But I mean, you can tweak the system. The question is how. And I think that the, the best way to do this again is to pursue it at the state level. The easiest thing you can do, and it's not a panacea, but the easiest thing is ranked choice voting. That right there, if you had ranked choice voting, then this argument of the spoiler goes away like that, right? And yeah. the Democrats are always going to use that argument so long as we don't have that. And, you know, conspicuously, a lot of people, they don't mention the no labels and how they're potentially spoiler. You know, we're all talking about Cornell West being a spoiler. I mean, if no labels run some centrist, I'm more worried about that because at least with the Greens and Libertarians, you know, if you're worried about them each pulling votes, they, they kind of cancel each other out in that regard, yeah. right? Mikey, Mikey, why do you think they don't say anything about them no labels party and they say everything about the Green Party? Could it be all that corporate money that is running through the no labels party? Okay. I'm just spitballing here. So a couple, no, right. a couple of things. Like, first of all, I kind of envision a world with no parties. Okay. Mm. Like I'm kind of just tired of the whole party thing. I think it's ridiculous. I think we can vote for people and policies and issues. I'm so sick of parties. That would be I'm amazing. Sick of tribalism. Yeah. I'm sick of all of it. So I'm actually, I, I, I either like the idea of lots of parties or no parties. Like I'm mm. kind of like an all or nothing. And um, I think that that is the holdup is the tribalism. Because what's interesting is if you say on the issues, we know that we agree. Most people agree on most of the big issues. We know that. So then why are those things not getting done? And that's completely because of partisan hackery. Mm -hmm. So if we were all just voting based on populist issues, we'd actually get shit done. That's always the biggest issue with the green. I mean, it's not even with the green. I mean, that doesn't even mean anything. Also, I want Cornell West to be a spoiler, by the way. This is my argument against the spoiler mm -hmm. argument. Good. Good. The point. I need to spoil. I, we need to spoil this system. It needs well, to be spoiled. Yes. Well, well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with that just because I feel like um, with so much on the line, like with a Republican president right now, they can weaponize the FDAA to basically ban gender from and care across the board for adults. So I feel like, like, I'm not, I don't want to roll the dice. Like, I don't care. Like if you're in a blue or red state, it really doesn't matter. But like, if I were in a swing state, not a chance in hell, I'm going to vote third party. I would unfortunately have to vote strategically for Biden just to stop fascists. And that's not a, that's not like a great solution, right? Cause you're voting for somebody who yeah. is not going to do anything, but it's, it's that, or the fascists. So, you know, in, in terms of spoiler, I, I think that it is, even if you, you aren't necessarily concerned about it, it is going to be a concern for a lot of voters. And that's why I think that you really need to start with ranked choice voting or a single transferable vote, something yeah. of that nature, just because like, you know, Democrats are going to use this against third parties and they, they're trying, they want to be able to beat the left into submission while kowtowing to centrists. And we can't, give them the ammunition. So if you get like a bunch of states in one election voting for ranked choice voting, that would scare the shit out of them more than anything. I mean, look at the way that pot happened in 2012, uh, Washington and Colorado voted to legalize weed. And then two years later, Oregon did it. Then two years later, how many more states followed suit? So I think that you have to 
you have to scare them in a way that lets them know that, you know, you're, you're going to do more than just run like another third party campaign that they know they can crush easily. Right. And I understand the people wanting to vote um, to get the greens, to 5% to get federal funding. But the reality is that like our system is, it runs on money. So like, even if the, the green party had federal matching funds, I mean, they still couldn't compete with the behemoths, you know, who take corporate money. So it's, I don't want people to get like down um, because I'm very cynical, but like, if you, if you really have this desire to subvert the duopoly, which you should, by the way, um, you, there's nothing that's going to scare the shit out of both parties more than actual organizational capacity at the state level to get ranked choice voting. Cause they don't want that. I definitely, know, I, I definitely yeah. agree that there's a big difference between the, and look, we're in Florida and, you know, Wasserman Schultz mm-hmm. bears a, a lion's share of the responsibilities why the Democratic Party is basically dead here in this state. We do have right. a really great representative in Orlando named Ann Escamani, who has done a really great job of cultivating a very strong movement in her own right. But South Florida has been completely devastated. And that's one of the reasons why DeSantis has dominated mm-hmm. across the board in the state. And of course, that went right to his hubris, thinking that he could do whatever the hell he wants. And his decision with the abortion issue has pro- is probably going to be his undoing when it's all said and done. Point being is this, you know, if you're going to if you're going to get anything done in politics, you have to be willing to get tough and you have to be willing to do it in a way that is going to scare the Democrats into adhering to your will. So as far as I'm concerned, what are the swing states going into this next election? I know people are going to think, well, let's build an infrastructure in California and let's build it in, you know, Illinois. And I'm thinking, no, you want to build your infrastructure in Arizona. You want to build your infrastructure in Michigan. You want to do it in Pennsylvania, because if five percent of the vote is going to go to Cornell West when it's all said and done. Now you are in a position of negotiation with the Democratic establishment. And this becomes an even greater talking point because Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He has the executive authority to make decisions based on, well, if we don't get these voters, we're going to lose the election. So what the hell do you guys want? What what is it going to take for you to say, all right, you can vote for Joe? Well, we could think of a litany of different things. Number one, of course, is right choice voting. I would say, hey, you want us voting in the Democratic Party ever again? You're getting rid of the superdelegates. It is done. Over. You are getting them out. And then you can go through a line items of different things, such as the Willow Project and the Mountain Valley Pipeline. They're done. We are moving into more true populist progressive territory here. But the one thing about the left, they don't fight like the right does. The right basically... It rubs your face in shit and makes you eat it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the left has to get that fight in them. We can't just be standing around here like Bernie and saying my good friend Joe, and that's going to solve the problem. No, you have to tell them, F this shit. People are dying. They are tired of voting out of fear. They want to vote out of enthusiasm. And people will vote enthusiastically for Cornell West. If that's ultimately going to run the risk, likely so, of a Trump or DeSantis getting into the White House, that is on Biden and his administration to say, what in the hell do we have to do to stop this from happening? It's not on the voters. It's on our elected officials. They work for us. And I, that's the part of the left that has to get into that mindset. We support you. We support all the social causes. But ultimately, if we're ever going to have an economic populism that this country desperately needs, we have to stop playing defense. We have to play offense. There's no other way. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you that, um, you know, it is it is on ultimately the Democratic Party. 
Uh, but I just don't think that they care, right? Like if they start seeing, like, like hypothetically speaking, if they see this groundswell of support for Cornell West in Michigan, like in these really crucial states, and it starts looking really bad, I don't think they care. Uh, I think Biden probably cares, but like generally speaking, if you're like, and this is very cynical, so just bear with me. Like if you're a congressional Democrat, um, I don't think that the presidency matters to you that much. Uh, it might be even better to lose because then you could fundraise off of how scary the Republicans are. It doesn't matter how scared you might get. I mean, we all saw this like the same day we learned about the leaked uh, draft of Roe v. Wade. Democrats were fundraising off of that and you expect them to do that. But how can you not feel a little bit cynical thinking that like seeing how evil the Republicans are is an advantage to them and they just don't care. Like I, I, I would love to think that there'd be some way to like scare the Democratic Party into submission. But I, I feel like I'm just so doomer that I don't ever expect anything to scare them. Um, it doesn't matter. Like they, they're rich, so they're insulated. So the things that Republicans can do to us they can't do that to these Democrats who are multimillionaires, right? So I just feel like ultimately they don't care. And what we're going to get is ambivalence. And at most they'll say, fuck you. We're not going to do anything. Don't spoil or we're going to blame you. But we're also not going to try to appeal to you with policy. Because, And I say that because that's kind of what we've got for years. Uh, and it's so frustrating to me. So that's why like my view of of trying to influence Biden is really cynical. And even back in 2020, when a lot of people were like, okay, let's um, let's try to push Biden to the left. Not really much you could push him to the left on, you know, I mean, not, not much that even like, you know, in a democratic party primary with Marianne Williamson, I love that, you know, she's giving, um, people another option, but, you know, even if she got like 50% of the vote and this was really competitive, I don't think that Biden is going to yield anything. I mean, he, barely did anything when Bernie Sanders dropped out and they set up this unity commission and he wouldn't even budge on marijuana legalization. You know what I mean? So I just feel like, Forget um, that. How about marijuana decriminalization? That would have been even easier. And that's the one that makes the most sense because if mm -hmm. you decriminalized it from a schedule one narcotic, it easily would go to all of the States. I mean, there's a number of issues that progressives and libertarians cross on and civil mm -hmm. liberties is one of them. And this is one of those areas where it's like, stay the hell out of our business. Let us smoke yeah. a freaking joint for God's sake. But we all know why that isn't the case. And I, I just think at the end of the day, you're right. They don't care. Do I think Biden cares about his legacy? Yeah, to a degree, I think he does. Yeah. However much is there cognitively, I think he does care. That's but I think that variable. They, yeah, the, mm -hmm. the the permanent Washington state. That's why I think there's a we really also have to get into the mindset that there is a huge difference between state party politics and federal politics. That's true. Yeah, it, it, we, we are really missing the boat yeah. here. And I think this would be a great transition if we want to talk about what is good about the Democratic Party. Look at what's going on in Minnesota right now. They are shoving through every progressive possible policy that they can in that state. And that state is not as blue as people think, but they have the power right now. And they're basically saying we are doing a populist left initiative across the board, regardless of what Amy Klobuchar may want. This is what we're doing here in this state. And they are not backing down. And God bless them for doing it because it sets precedent for the other states across the country to say, you want to know what it's like to live in a social democracy? Look at what they're doing over there. And they are not asking for any help from Washington. And that's why they're getting shit done. I hate to say it, but the second you get Washington out of the equation, it's kind of amazing. Look at the state that you live in. That is a, I mean, 
Oregon is the perfect example of when you have the blend of the progressive and the libertarian kind of coexisting, almost not maybe in harmony, but enough to say this is contentment for a lot of people. And you run and you live in one of the best run states in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very blue. And to me, it, it, it you almost forget the fact that it's blue. It's just a state that has elected officials that by and large, especially at the state level, listen to their constituents. Yeah, well put. And honestly, to kind of move away from the doomerism, because I'm always concerned that I like inject too much cynicism uh, into audiences. So I don't want people to come away feeling like, you know, demoralized. <laughs> but this, I, you know, I'm just I'm sharing my mental headspace. Um, but like at the state level, I mean, we've seen Democrats who know how to fight. I mean, at in uh, Nebraska, I think it was like they filibustered an anti-trans bill for months. I mean, they lost ultimately. But have you ever seen congressional Democrats right, fight no. that hard on yeah. anything? You have, you know, um, the uh, Democrats in Tennessee doing really well and having good, like strong Democrats at the state level. They're never going to be perfect, but they are completely different than national Democrats. Like in the state, in my state of Oregon, for example, like we have corporate Democrats for sure. But the corporate Democrats look like progressives almost like almost you know nationally speaking right um so shifting the overton window at the state level is really important and part of the reason why oregon uh, i think is is such a well-run state i mean we have our our flaws obviously right no state is perfect but uh the reason why we have um accomplished so much in my opinion is one because we actually have like ballot initiatives um and we have a lot of like organizations who are constantly fighting to move the window there. But on top of that, we also have more, uh, I believe, more electoral participation. And part of this is because we've had like mail-in ballots for a very long time, right? So like none of us in Oregon, we don't have to stay stay in line for hours. Like we just get our ballot mailed to us and I take like hours filling it out. Just I look up every single tiny little city council, like every small thing i can take my time to google and it since we've had it for so long it's not controversial like nationally this is a very volatile issue because of you know what trump has said but even republicans here if you were to propose taking away our mail-in ballots even republicans would be fucking pissed because it's just easy it's convenient and because of this though you lower that barrier and you allow for more participation. And when you allow more people into the political process, then you get better representation because you know, you're not just representing that small amount of donors now. You have a shit ton of people who are going to be pissed if you succumb to, you know, this corporate inf- uh, interest. And part of, you know, another reason why I think that the uh, Democratic Party in Oregon does better than the National Democratic Party is because they actually fight Republicans, right? Like they hold Republicans' feet Got to the it. fire. And that's really important. I would like that progressives held, you know, corporate Democrats feet to the fire in this state more, but at least you see this pushback, right? So Republicans in this state can't monopolize discourse, uh, can't create narratives out of thin air. So yeah, I, I like that point about the state level, because I think that if people feel, you know, it's, it's very easy to feel dejected if you just focus on national politics. Uh, but if you look at the state level and like meet people in your state and what you can accomplish even at the local level, it really changes the game. Like you don't feel as powerless. You realize, oh my God, there's things that we can do. And one last thing I'll say, going back to the like the third party thing, one thing that frustrates me, and I wish that the left would stop doing this, is stop fighting over petty things. Because I, I think that when it comes to the issue of voting uh, third party or not voting third party, there's going to be some leftists that will always vote third party. That's just a fact. 
And there's going to be some leftists that are going to suck it up and vote, you know, Democrat, no matter what. I don't think that there's a need to like bicker, right? Like I posted a video about Cornell West kind of sharing my thoughts. And I, I, I tweeted out a picture of like the, the duality of the responses that I got. One of them was saying, oh, so you want Trump to win? And another was saying, uh, oh, so your vote blue no matter who? It's like, did you not watch the fucking video? <laughs> you know what I mean? So like we don't. We don't have to relitigate this every four years. Like, do what you're going to do. I'll do what I'm going to do. Uh, we shouldn't. We shouldn't vote sh- shame each other, right? If, if don't vote shame Biden voters. Don't vote shame third party voters. If the left can put aside th- this dumb fuckery, then I feel like we could actually get things done. But again, the online left is probably different than the actual left because if you oh, talk yes. to somebody at, at your Karen. local DSA meeting, they don't know what the fuck is going on. They've never heard of all of us. They don't know who Jimmy Dore is or Mike from the Humanist Report is. We we don't exist to them. These are just normal people, right? And that's really important. That is really refreshing and liberating. Like I, I just showed up, like I, and I've shared this before, but it's a really good example. I went to a town hall with my representative and I just asked like a couple of questions and I came prepared. I had the bills cited. One of them was HR 4000 because I'm like, we need electoral reform. I I'll, Every time I, I do a town hall, I ask about electoral reform. But like somebody afterward, this girl approached me, she's like, hey, uh, do you want to like uh, exchange email addresses? Because you seem like you, you, you're really interested in this. And I am too. And I don't have anybody to talk to about this. My family is all conservative. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, that didn't budge, you know, bloom into a friendship. Um, we ghosted each other. I don't remember what happened. But, you know, just... Having that 10 minute conversation really makes you feel like, oh, my God, I'm not crazy, because if you just like fixate on national politics online and you're in your own head, it's going to drive you fucking nuts. So having other people to like converse with in your in your area where you can actually make a difference that matters. I mean, Ron Placone, like he got a public municipal broadband. Um, uh, I don't know if you got it introduced, but he like showed up and raised the salience of this in his area. I think it was lost. I don't know what district he's in, but. Like, it just goes to show you, like, your voice matters a lot more when it comes to that local level. So, like, if you're feeling discouraged, engage locally. Amen. Yeah. And I, and I do think that one thing that's going to be different this time around, and I'm wondering if you're thinking it's going to be the same way. Uh, I don't think the vote shaming thing is going to work like it did over the last couple of election cycles. I think a lot of people are done with it. And they're just like, you know what? We are going to hell anyway. We might as well prepare for what's going to happen after we get to hell. And it's like we are now starting to prepare for the inevitable that the system is truly breaking down. Something is going to happen of significance. Maybe something as insane as Donald Trump being elected president again from a jail cell. It's like that's. And if people think that that's crazy, it's not. Eugene oh, no. ran from ran for president from prison. That was a thing. And he got a lot of votes, too. So mm-hmm. to me, I don't put anything past anybody. I just think we are at a point where we have to stop living in fear. Fear has already taken over so many people. Now you have to fight back against that fear. And I do think those that and look, you saw it as clear as day. They know that Cornell West is a threat because they are not wasting any time in trying to smear him, throw him under the bus, tell him that he shouldn't even run, that you should stop doing this right now. Do not participate in democracy because people might actually like hearing what you have to say. Like if you're already going at that length, you're going to, there's enough people that are just going to start looking at this and saying, maybe we should demand more of our elected officials. I don't know. That's just my thought. And I do think that that effect is ultimately going to happen. But like Mm. you said, this this more than anything else, this is a class war. 
Mm-hmm. This is a war of yeah. the working class against the against the ruling class. And we have to come to those realities. That's why we're, we emphasize labor so much on our channel. And that's why, you know, despite on the social side of things that Joe has done some good things on the economic side, especially on the labor side, he's been a complete failure. Mm-hmm. And that's where it hurts the most, because if he was doing those tangible things, Forget the parliamentarian and the $15 minimum wage. We needed a real populist left option post Donald Trump. And instead, we got status quo, Joe. And that is the worst possible thing that could be happening right now. That's why even somebody like Ron DeSantis is feeling his oats, thinking he's got a real shot at becoming the next president. And Mm -hmm. so to me, we really have to be uniting the working class every single day. That is our main. That is our fight. That really is our fight. It's like you said, the reliance on electoral politics is not going to save us. But Mm -hmm. building a true coalition of working people in this country, that could save us. That's our best shot as far as I'm concerned. Jen? Uh, I mean, we've said all along that this needs to be a labor, a labor revolution. This is a class war that we're having. Mm -hmm. And I agree with what you said, Mike, but we need to walk and chew gum, right? Like Mm -hmm. the trans issues are important, right? These are people that are being used as collateral damage. We're hearing the same arguments that we heard back from like the Anita Bryant gay days, like back in those days when I remember my mom like protesting that. Mm -hmm. And these are just the most vulnerable people that they can get people to punch down. And that's really where we are is we're like in a very sad and desperate time where people are looking for something. And if the only voices that they're hearing are the loud ones telling them to kick down, you know, that and there and there's nobody on the left telling them otherwise, not within electoral politics in this country. So, I mean, I think that it has to happen from outside. It has to happen from labor. But when we look at labor, we have to recognize that it's a wide range on that blue and red spectrum of people that we're talking about. And when Mm -hmm. we're really talking about a labor alliance and labor getting anywhere, you have people at the same protest, at the same picket line, you have one person who voted for Bernie next to somebody who voted for Trump. And and that is the reality. So I think that when it comes to like the economic stuff, that what we're really fighting for is all the same in terms of that. And people need to get over themselves regarding a lot of it. And I do think that that's going to be a huge talking point for Cornell when he's on the stump, because he is going to talk about our trans brothers and sisters, our vulnerable members mm-hmm. of the community who are being used as a distraction from the fact that you can't afford to live, that you can't afford housing, that your job doesn't pay you a living wage, that you don't have any health care, that our money is being spent in places that do not serve or benefit us in any way. We have a planet that's on fire and we're continuing to make it worse. You know, he's going to do that. And it's going to regardless of what party he's running in. If he was running as a Democrat, it wouldn't matter. They would do the same thing that his message they're going to do just as they did to Bernie. They are going to try to suppress it in every which way possible. It is ultimately going to be up to us to figure out how we are going to come together. And I do think that this is important, Mike, in terms of where we wind down the conversation. Obviously, want to get your thoughts on what Jen just said. But I also think that when it comes to the independent media left, there is a lot of egos in the room. There is a lot of, I have to do this my way. I don't want to share space with this other person. And we realize that that's something that the populist right does all the time. Steven Crowder, Ben Shapiro, Tim Pool, they do not care. Their attitude is we're going to work together because we're going to stop that side. 
They do, they do not have an ego in this. To me, I think if we started taking on that type of a mindset, there's no telling what a collective populist left in terms of independent media and beyond could actually do. I think we could be very effective if we were able to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot um, that I agree with there. Uh, going back to like, if you think the spoiler effect works, uh, or that the, the uh, vote shaming works, I, I think that most people are probably, you know, that they, they already had their minds made up. So the extent that it works, I don't necessarily know. Like, there's probably a lot of people who, if they didn't have the green option, they probably just wouldn't vote. Um, you know, so it's it's. I, I think that ultimately, to the extent that like greens play spoiler, um, you know it. The, both parties only talk about the spoiler effect if it's close, right? Like, you know, Democrats talked about Jill Stein in 2016 and in uh, 2020 Republicans were a little bit more loud about the, uh, I forgot her name. It was the oh, libertarian. You're right. Right. So I think that they're just going to, you know, use that argument whenever they can. But in terms of like the, the landscape, I won't lie. Like I am fearful right now. Like I'm, vo I'm voting out of fear for sure. I mean, I'm in Oregon, so it doesn't really matter what I do. I, you know, um, if sure. I were in a swing state though, I, I would definitely vote for Democrats, uh, and encourage other people to do that too. But like, I am fearful just because I, this is a very different moment. And I've noticed that the temperature has changed in the sense that like back in the, you know, um, and, and like Jen, you made a great point about Anita Bryant and whatnot, and all this bigotry yeah. that we've been seeing for decades. And it's the same arguments, uh, but the thing that's changed is that like when Republican bigots advocate against like civil rights before, it's always been like, well, you shouldn't have equal rights to marriage or you shouldn't be able to serve openly in the military. And we're getting to this place where it's not just like traditional bigotry, like it's genocide, especially with regard to trans people like trans kids who don't have access to gender affirming care they are very susceptible to suicide. And we've seen, I don't know how many states now um, ban it. And so this is literally life and death. So that's why for me, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't like to admit that I vote out of fear, but I'm very fearful right now. Um, so in terms of like forming a coalition, I, I think that at the local level, you do have to form coalitions for sure. In terms of um, like a sort of big, broad populist coalition, I don't have much faith in that, if I'm being 100% honest, uh, because I think that a lot of uh, Trump supporters, many of them are kind of just political normies that aren't involved. A lot of them are petite bourgeoisie. I mean, if you look at January 6th, a lot of these people are small business owners, you know? Yeah. So these are people who are very, very privileged, don't really care about policies. They just want to own the libs. I think that those people, to the extent that you have, like some of them who are pro-union, it's probably pretty small. The best thing that you can do um, I think if you want to make a political impact is work with other leftists, work with liberals. I don't think you can work with fascists at this point. I think that there's no way you can convince them to be in favor, even if it of economic issues that benefit them even personally, because I mean, we saw the way that what Trump's signature achievement was tax cuts for the rich and they didn't care. Right. Because fuck immigrants, fuck, fuck trans people. So I don't think that you can get through to these people. Yeah, but then what did the Democrats do with those tax cuts, Mike? What have they done to, right. to combat that? Yeah, it's the ratchet effect, right? Have you ever seen like the graphic for the ratchet effect where it's like, you know, uh, Republicans shift us to the right. Yeah. Democrats stop us from going back to where we were. Yeah, it's the same song and dance. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 really frustrating because there's not really 
there's no perfect solution to all of this, right? Like we we are very small and dealing with very powerful people. Capitalism is a very, very corrosive force. Um, so it's hard to overcome that, right? Like you really need strong organizational power to do that. And it's like, there's no perfect answer in my opinion, right? Like I genuinely don't know what to do to um, affect change other than tell people to get involved locally. Um, electoral politics nationally is very difficult. The reason why I'm kind of like soured on on populism is because I, I feel like populism usually means, and, and this is a generalization, but a lot of people who emphasize populism, not you guys in particular, but yeah. other people like traditionally like the Jimmy Doors, that means... We talk about economic issues to the detriment of race issues, to the detriment right. of LGBTQ plus issues. And there's this like baked in assumption and few of them say this explicitly, but it's very heavily implied. It's the subtext that, oh, well, you know, if we just had socialism, you know, then race, racism would go away. If we had economic issues, a living wage, racism, right. would, that's not, no, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, so I think that you really, you have the, the problem with populism, at least if you try to form an economic alliance with the populist, right, you're going to have to make those sacrifices, you know? So the best thing that you can do is try to form a coalition that is very broad, that blends the economic and the social, because you can't have one without the other. Like these are all intertwined, right? Like worker rights are black rights, Worker rights are LGBTQ plus rights. Healthcare is a trans yeah. issue. Like it's all intermingled. So the best thing that you can do is try to cast the widest net, but don't let people in that can like spoil the bunch, like fascists, for example. Right. No, I would argue that some of the people that you named regarding, um, you know, saying that what populism is are people that I don't think are necessarily as capable of walking and chewing gum simultaneously. So True, I yeah. think that like, for me, when I talk about populism, yeah, I am speaking in that sense fairly about the class war and economic justice, but I can also then really address other issues simultaneously. Like, I mm -hmm. think that, like, I can actually do, I can do both. I feel capable yeah. of doing both. Yeah, and you you are capable of doing both. I think that there's a lot of people who are very talented who can do both. I think Cornell West is really such a powerful speaker because he speaks to both of these issues. Yes. Um, and there was like a little bit of pushback that I saw. Uh, by the way, great interview with Tim Black and um, and Cornell West, yeah. where yeah. he's like, "Listen, Doctor West, I looked at your website and the word black wasn't mentioned once, right?" So like he he pushed. He was tough but fair. Yeah. Um, and like, like you need those people, I think are very crucial. Like they're great. Uh, I think Bernie's another one, but he did fail a little bit when it comes to the rhetoric, when, you know, addressing black issues, for example, like you can say that sure, the democratic party was against him, but I do think that he really, he needed to get more grounded. Like he needed to learn more, but like someone like Cornell West is really good at that. Someone like you, Jen, really good. Like there, it takes a talent because like you have to think about how, democracies have so many competing voices and every single person has their number one issue. That's different from everyone else. Right. We all each like, maybe we all care about the same issues, but we have different levels of salience and that changes. Yeah. Right. Like to me, if you asked me two years ago, I would say Medicare for all is probably my number one issue. Um, now it's number three to me because I have climate change as number one and number two is trans rights. Like it kind of just goes by, what causes the most deaths, which is such a cynical way to rank it. But I mean, that's kind of like the no. reality of the situation where it's like, okay, are. human race going extinct, transgenocide, you know, 68,000 Americans dying every single year. And so like the salience changes, but like, even though I have this ranking, like some, someone might, 
have lost their job because of outsourcing. And to them, you're going to have to speak to that too. So the walking and chewing gum at the same time is absolutely necessary. But it's I don't know why it's so difficult for some politicians and, and like commentators too, to, to thread that needle. But that is oh, specifically why. what we need. I know why. Because whatever their motivators are, whether it's corporate special interests or whatever their own personal interests are, are what keep them fixated on whatever it is they're fixated on and whatever mm. gets the most clicks when you're coming to con content creators and true. politicians, it's whoever's funding them the most. It's very clear. That's true. How they that's fit. true. Yeah. I actually think it's all very possible. See, that's the beauty of it. And I would urge Congress people, look, you get a staff of eight people, use those people. You can cover a right. lot of issues yeah. with eight people. Yeah. And they're not going to blink an eye if the No Labels Party has uh, Joe Manchin, if you will, as their candidate. By the mm -hmm. way, anybody who uh, likes generational change, remember, we did come up with Manchin Parliamentarian first. Jordan Cheriton, a status quo <laughs> news, put it above his United Corporations of America flag. Mike, uh, <laughs> if you would like our last Manchin Parliamentarian bumper sticker, we are offering it to you. So let us know if you want. Uh, I think uh, it's funny, but I wouldn't want anybody to think that I... Uh, Support that. <laughs> Actually, support me. The, listen, well, okay. I, so here's here's the thing. That's why I put parliamentarian because I feel like then it's just so obviously a joke. Like that's yeah. not somebody who is a viable running mate. I mean, I'm sure right. she is, but I don't know her name. So, like, mm -hmm. that's why I specifically did that versus just mansion because that could be serious. I, I know there. That's the thing that's so sad. It's like there's enough people in this country that would unironically love Mansion. So in my Cornell West video, I talked about the the no labels potential run, and there was a line that triggered me so much. It was, uh, "No labels is," and I'm paraphrasing obviously. Uh, no labels is considering moderate superstar Joe Mansion. I'm like, bro, I like honestly, I'm gonna off myself in Minecraft. That is too much for me to take conservative or moderate superstar Joe man. I mean, the audacity for somebody to print that. Right? <laughs> but you, you know, when a party like that is being funded by the likes of the Peter Thiel's to the Michael Bloomberg's, it becomes that will never be addressed on corporate media. That will never yeah. be said, you know, you're a spoiler or you're doing, no, the only thing that matters is the spoiler is somebody who is fighting on behalf of the working class. And I did I, I did want to touch on something uh, that I think is very important before we before we officially wind down. Uh, you know, we went to an event not too long ago for the Broward County GOP, and I thought it was very interesting because it was very similar in a lot of ways to the Trump rally that we went to back in 2018. And what I thought was so unique about it is that, yeah, you're going to have those crazies, those outliers. And we noticed that of the, how many would you say were there, Jen? Probably like 50 people, I guess, something like that. What, which, are we people. talking about that barbecue? When we went to the, try to get some petition signed. Yeah, yes. We yeah. There were probably like 50 signed. or so people there. Yeah. But the problem was, is that there were two or three people, one person in particular, that was the outlier of that entire oh, that group. Guy. So here was a guy that was not only talking about how pro-life he was, but how anti-trans he was at the okay. same time. Now, this guy's wearing a pro-life shirt, and then he has this flag that's like, I'm assuming an anti-trans thing, just it's like a, a man-woman sign, whatever. It's anti-trans. Mm. And he's wearing that as his cape. And it oh was, it, 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 I, I didn't go talk to him, go figure. And that was very similar in a lot of ways to the Trump rally where you've got 20,000 people there and about 
one to two, maybe two, one to 2,000 of those people are what you would classify as that rowdy, crazy bunch, whereas mm. everybody else is your neighbor is your friend and they have their reasons why they support them or supporting the GOP. And I'm thinking this is also the detriment of corporate media because they are always going to hone in on the most you know, the most outlandish, the most obsequious, any of that crazy that you see from somebody who is the trans guy that, you know, was stealing uh, luggage in the airport versus uh, the crazy conservative who coughs on people and says COVID's fake and you don't have it. And all I'm thinking is this is their doing in a lot of ways. This is the fourth estate doing their job. Is it the fourth or the fifth estate? This is the fourth, fourth. estate. The dead, so we should move on to the fifth. So that is, <laughs> but in a lot of ways, that is the reality. They will always find the outlier to to, f- to make you scared that this is what's going to happen. Are there are there some exceptions when it comes to teachers being inappropriate with students? Yes, out of hundreds of thousands, you can always find somebody who's doing their job the wrong way. Uh, teachers fuck students in this country on the regular. You know, it's like, for God's I'd sake. I'd go with priests before I'd go against teachers on well, that, that one. I mean, mm-hmm. we could go with, if one, we want to talk about uh, dangers to children, I'd say priests far outweigh drag queens. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. I personally cannot think of anything less threatening than a man in heels. I don't mm-hmm. understand how that is remotely threatening to anybody. I, I It's bizarre to me. Like, if I walk into a room and there's a trans or I'm sorry, a, a drag queen standing here and just a typical burly man here. I feel a lot more threatened by the guy than the drag queen. I at mm. least know I'm outrunning, outrunning her. And just and, and just <laughs> one final thought on the LGBTQ community, if, if we're being completely honest here, guys. Uh, you know, conservatives talk constantly about economics and how we want to have all of our communities be successful and well-paying jobs and people want to be there. You know, the most successful communities in the country are LGBTQ dominant in a lot of ways. Asbury mm-hmm. Park, New Jersey, Wilton Matters, Florida, San Francisco, California, Portland, Oregon. And Let's I can talk, know- Well, we can get into this another time about the fact that yeah. also something about Wilton Manors is it's fairly red too, because a lot of those white mm-hmm. gay men are Republicans. So we yes. can talk about that another time. That's a separate issue. But you want to talk not. about the log cabin Republicans? That's perfectly fine. No, Will Manners is, let me tell you something. You have a very high socioeconomic neighborhood. You have two white male income earner households. And it is not reasonable to think that there's not going to be people that vote their wallet in that neighborhood. And so the fact mm. that they happen to be gay is not how they necessarily vote, clearly. Because right. Wilton Manners is has definitely shifted to like heavy on the Republican side, quite honestly. And I don't know, Mike, if you're aware, but Wilton Manners is the only city in the country with a f- completely gay council, mayor, whole thing. Oh, wow. And I didn't know that. They, and, yeah. And they mm. have there's a lot of red in there, man. I'm just saying. Oh, trust me. There are so many um, members of the LGBTQ plus community who are like they care more about the um the class interests than they do about their own community. I mean, we we all know the grifters, right? Dave Rubin, people like that, where they just yeah. Blair White, uh, where they they care more about the check than anything else. And these times are really not the smartest time to do that. If I'm just being a hundred percent honest, you know. No, it's but scary. yeah, it it really is. But um, yeah, yeah, that's it's it's a constant battle, right? Like to get people yeah. to stop 
voting against their own self-interest, it's 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 going to be and, some that <laughs> we always have to grapple with. And you know what? If we lived in a country that had some semblance of a true hybrid system, a social democracy, capitalism fused with socialism, there would be a lot less hatred for the other. In fact, there would be a lot more embracing of the other because people would be living decent healthy lives and they would have less of a reason to point the finger at somebody else for their own, yeah. you know, and they say it's their failings. No, the failing is the system. The yeah. Donald Trump has merely just exposed the system for what a complete catastrophic failure that it really is. And that is the playing field that we need. To I get think that his existence on this earth sort of solidified that. And I actually thought that back in the eighties, just so yeah. I'm just so we're all clear. I disliked him in the eighties. You Just totally didn't. You appreciated me then. You'll no, appreciate me now. I thought you and Anna were both disgusting me. and gauche. And I thought that your kids were morons. So, no, no I did not think that. <laughs> Mikey, how can people find your work, where they can get involved? Uh, obviously, the Humanist Report is there. But if there is a website, anything, the floor is yours. Yeah, humanistreport.com. Um, I also am on the Leftist Mafia every Thursday at 6 p.m. PS or 5.30 p.m. PST, 8.30 uh, ET. Uh, so, yeah, you you all know where to find me. I'm around. Just search for the Humanist Report. I'm the dude with the beard and glasses who is not Matt Walsh. So, yeah. I was going to say he is a much less appealing version of you. Um, but yes, I can sort of see this. I can see it. I mean, it, I'd be lying if I didn't say I saw it. Not All Walsh. dudes. Yeah. It's the beard and the glasses thing, yeah. right? Like Matt Walsh is if you order humanist report from wish.com. <laughs> I was just going to say, he just wishes he was as fabulous <laughs> as you, but I, I digress. Oh, he could never in a million years. He, he doesn't have the swagger. <laughs> Mikey, we love you. Thank you for love you too. appreciating us. We'll be in touch, brother. For sure. Take care. One of our absolute favorites, no of question course. about it. And so for those of you who don't remember, when Jen was running for Congress against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, aside from Jordan Cheriton at Status Quo, uh, Mikey was the first person who, ha with a big channel, that- I was going to say the on. first legitimate person. Yeah, put her, put her on, and it really started to get the ball rolling. And, yes. uh, you know, uh, we, like I said, we cannot thank him enough. Uh, you know, he's really been somebody who and, and the one thing he really does do uh, and credit to him, especially for those. Yeah. I mean, we understand that there's a lot of people in the chat who do not agree with how he's going about um, his, you know, his his way politically. But that's why it pays to have these conversations to get them to understand. And the one thing that he made very clear is that, look, I'm I am going to vote blue, but I'm not going to chastise people if they choose to vote green. And you know what? That's the way it should be. Just embrace this opportunity to have real change. Embrace be, democracy, people. Embrace uh, democracy. Well, or or just embrace the fact that you're going to be fighting against a system that is going to try to destroy you any which way possible. And if there is anybody who knows a thing or two about what the system will do to you if you cross the line, mm -hmm. it is our law. It is. I, I am not sure if Graham has been on our show. I know you were on his he show. Has. I he has. He, okay. he has been on, but I can't remember when, but there was something. There was something. Well, there was it, a thing. I'm a pothead. I can't remember like yesterday. Well, okay. it has been it has been far too long, but he is somebody that we both admire and respect very much. He doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And if you have not seen him do his comedy specials in person, 
He's a very, he's a funny guy. Funny how? We'll explain how. Graham Elwood, welcome back to Generational Change. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. It's great to be back. It has been a while, I think. Um, and uh, it was great catching uh, what Mike was saying about <laughs> his, his version of, he's like, if you ordered uh, me through the wish or whatever, I don't know, that was a funny joke. So yeah, it was great right. to make it fun of Matt Walsh. That was, that was nice. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I don't know if you if we ever talked about it, but, you know, we did see you when you were down here a few years ago. So I actually did see your routine and it is very quite funny, I must say. Um, so I do appreciate that. But you have some new stuff you're working on, right? Like what, what have you been up to? Yeah. So um, I released a new special in March uh, called Manifest It. It's an hour comedy special. It's on the All Things Comedy, which is Bill Burr's company. It's on their YouTube channel. Um, you can just go to YouTube and search Graham Elwood manifested, or you can just go to Graham It's right there. It's about an hour. It's, I mean, I make fun of the two party system. I make fun of the war machine. I, I make fun of billionaires. It is a really, it's, you know, it's, I've done two comedy albums and done some, you know, a lot of stand up on TV, but this was my first like hour. And I spent all this time, I was going to release, you know, Ron Placone and I were going to shoot specials in, in April of 2020 that obviously got <laughs> shut down. And so I really wanted to <clears throat> put this hour co of comedy out there because, you know, the, the big Hollywood is, is part of the corporate media. And so there's a reason why there's not a lot of comics talking politics the way it's like me lee camp you know uh, rob placone eddie pepitone a few others maybe uh that are talking about it because it's and i i'm this special i'm very proud of it it's it's done quite well it's got twenty five thousand views but i've been censored i've i've had five ads to that i was trying to buy for instagram just showing a clip of my special on Instagram reels and then get people to co-watch the full special. And I was paying, I was wanting to give them money. Five ads were rejected by Instagram for being too political. So we live in a crazy time. I had a billboard ad uh, in Times Square. So I shot this special in October at Zany's Comedy Club in downtown Chicago. It's a club I started at. You can see a photo. If you ever go to the downtown Zany's in Chicago, you'll see a photo of I me. Know, where I I was like, yeah, it's a great club. It's an old, like an old jazz club. It's long and narrow. It's there's, there's headshots from 40 years. Like you can see my headshot when I was 22 years old. Um, I've got like, I think a vest over a t-shirt. It was the early nineties <laughs> guys. It was a, you know, I, I think I had acid wash jeans on. Thankfully, you didn't see that in the photo. Um, but so I had four shows leading up to that taping just to get ready to run to run the hour. Right. I did New York, Madison, Wisconsin, Waterford, Michigan, Cincinnati and then Chicago. And so I bought some some digital billboards, which are fairly affordable um, in most of those cities. And one of them was going to be in Times Square because I was performing at the Broadway Comedy Club, which is right off Broadway there. Um, and so, you know, a big uh, billboard in Times Square it wasn't that much money. And I was like, let's do this because I've been to Times Square. You've been to Times Square. There's a lot of people walking around. I've done a lot of TV and I thought, you know, this could really help just get foot traffic. And that billboard, here's what it said. Graham Elwood live Tuesday, October 18th, 8 p.m. 
Broadway Comedy Club tickets at broadwaycomedyclub.com. And there was a photo of me on stage holding a microphone. That was called Too Political um, by the person that owned the billboard. The billboard company was just leasing the billboard. And then I said, let's try this just to, just to see if I was right about that I was the problem with the billboard. I said, why don't we submit this billboard Special secret show, Tuesday, October 18th, Broadway Comedy Club, 8 o'clock, tickets, broadwaycomedyclub.com, and then put a question mark over my face. That was approved. Huh. So you're the problem. What you're I'm saying is you're the problem. I am. I'm, it's, it's, the, it's, uh, it, it's, well, it's insane. Well, let's, well, let's see. Let's do a little test here because Let's see what exactly Graham is saying. We're going to do a quick clip right here of his comedy special manifest it. It's on YouTube. So here we go. Let's see what is so bad that you're saying that apparently they feel the need to blacklist you from everywhere. Please give a nice, huge round of applause, Graham Elwood! My favorite thing that the media does in America, they'll take whatever the story of the days we should all be paying attention to, and they put it next to the dumbest story ever. <laughs> Remember last summer when Jeff Bezos threw his cock rocket around the planet? It was four minutes long and barely penetrated the Earth's atmosphere. So I guess Bezos wanted the whole world to know what his girlfriend feels. <laughs> Republicans would skull fuck a puppy to turn a nickel. The Democrats would skull fuck a puppy and then put a rainbow flag on it. And I shudder to think what would happen if these incremental centrists were around during like bold times in history when bold change needed to happen. You know, like FDR's famous speech, the only thing we have to fear is everything. It's too hard. We can't get it done. Like if Trump would have smoked weed, when he was president, he wouldn't have wanted to build a wall around Mexico. He would have just been down at the border going, we should start a music festival. <laughs> if Biden smoked weed, he might, you know, remember where he is. Or <laughs> So it's like breaking news. Like, oh, that president finished a sentence today, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that last line with Joe is probably why they decided, yeah, we can't be <laughs> it. That's yes, so man. I'm I'm sorry to put your show at risk, guys, but I'm too dangerous for uh dude. Instagram. Are you kidding me? We all we did a live stream for Julian Assange. We got we're, shadow banned a long time ago. Yeah, we we can't get past like we're just sort of running in place, like George Jetson on the thing. Like that's sort of us, like this whole time, because we mention things that should not be mentioned. We get demonetized all the time. It, like it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, good it's, one, Solaris. Good one. I like it's that. it's and I I it's why I've been, you know, I've been a guest on a bunch of comedy podcasts here in L.A. I I, I you know I've known all these comics, but some people haven't gotten back to me. I wonder are they afraid to have me on? Um, so I've been coming to more news and indie media to talk about it. I was just on Status Quo Monday, and really the the five ads getting. Um, I, I said to a friend of mine, my friend, uh, JB Updike that runs open primaries and he goes, Oh man, you're on a list. 
you know, I've had several people say you're on a list and, you know, I do a, a weekly podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, with Lee Camp called Government Secrets. That's why you're on the list. Yeah. Well, I, I introduced the show, as I said, you know, this is Government Secrets with the two most censored comedians in America, Lee Camp and Graham Elwood, because Lee had his whole YouTube channel wiped out. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they the Department of Justice got rid of the really basically got rid of RT, which I guess we don't have freedom of press anymore. We're not allowed to watch whatever media we want to watch. It's it's insane that. I mean, I guess I should be honored that I'm this a threat like this really surfer comedian is a big threat to everybody that's like doing a show in his apartment, you know, like it's it's crazy to me. Right. We yeah. did. We saw it over the course of the Trump, the especially in the early stages of the Trump administration, and the direction that a lot of these comedians chose to go in. Uh, I remember. Uh, I, with all due respect, I don't even really consider her a comedian, but I think Jen Kirkman, I think, is her name, and the way that she was so belligerent towards progressives. Forget the Republicans. The belligerent attitude towards progressives. And all I'm thinking is, uh, you know, without getting vulgar, but you know where I'm going with this. It's like, you know, who was she trying to score with in order to get that opportunity next, that next comedy special? It's not about what I can do on stage. It's who I can impress off stage that will allow me to take the next step in my career, regardless if I have any real talent or not. And I think comedy over the last several years has taken a real hit in a lot of ways by people yeah. not being able to be themselves, even at the expense of saying that Joe Biden sucks, for example. It's it's insane. You bring up a great point. And it's uh, and it's why there aren't a lot of political comics like me. Like I, I'm an anti-war pro-labor socialist. So there's really not a lot of there's no room for me in either political party. And there's not yeah. a lot of room for me in Hollywood. And um, it's unreal that I'm censored this hard. And what it does is it sends a message to other comics don't talk about this. And it became kind of clear during the Trump administration as a comedian, you could have a couple of Trump jokes, but that's it. You really can't call out the Democratic Party, no. especially when Hollywood gives so much money to the Democratic Party. And, you know, you, you, you see the war machine is, is, is part of this. You know, I, I talk about on my show, Political Vigilante, a lot. You know, in 2020, the defense industry gave $49 million across all candidates, 800,000 to Bernie Sanders, 2.7 million to Trump and 3.1 million to Biden. So calling out the war machine, which uh, is in the special as well, that clip that you showed, and I appreciate you showing that that clip uh, doesn't have, but I talk about the two party system loving war. And that's, uh -huh. I mean, they buy a lot of ad time on CNN and MSNBC and, and, and then you watch the propaganda machine in place. Just go on Netflix and see all the movies that are like pro-war and oh, all pro the time, constant CIA. Yeah, it's constant. It's constant. So yeah. it's it's crazy. As somebody who grew up, I mean, I remember seeing. You know, I was I, I looked up to George Carlin. I got to see oh. Bill Hicks perform live in Chicago. Um, you know. And when I started doing my YouTube show like five, six years ago, I really just, my, my comedy, I was like, I'm going full politics to talk about how the whole system is broken. And the thing why I think it's such a threat is because if you're partisan, you have a place. 
they won't they won't come out if you have a the other side's bad they need you to keep the country divided but if you're saying the whole thing is broken that's when you're a threat anybody that unifies you're 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 a problem yeah. and so they don't want people you know, what they don't want is a comedy club full of like you know red staters and blue staters watching my special and everybody laughing and this is what happened so the tune-up shows I did leading up to the recording in Chicago. So I did Madison, Wisconsin, very blue, liberal college town, right? Very liberal. They loved my set. And when I made fun of Biden, they didn't care because I made fun of Trump. The next night, I was in Waterford, Michigan, which is a MAGA county in Michigan. Literally Trump stickers on the parking lot on, on cars. That crowd loved the show equally as the Madison crowd did. When I made fun of Trump, they weren't offended because I made fun of Biden and they agree the whole system's broken. That's what the the main people in power don't want. Everybody going, you know what? The system is broken. We need to fix this. Maybe we disagree on how to fix it because look, they have to keep us divided on the culture wars, on all this other stuff because if America, of all Americans woke up to the fact that we're actually in class warfare, that's what's happening right now, yeah. then- Oh no, we might all get along. Right. You know, and they can't have that. Can we go back to the fact that you're a crazy radical because you're anti-war, pro-labor and a socialist? It's like those are all things that are like good. Like those are all good things. Like that should be the norm. We should be asking why that isn't the norm. I find just, it really infuriating. Just throw the cannabis in there for effect and you've got well, the, you know. I, yeah, I mean, that would help. I think that helps, I, you know, sure, you know, civil liberties and all, but it, yeah, no. the war, the war machine is really the biggest, is really the biggest threat to everything. It's, um, that's eating up everything. That's, and that's really where I think it's going to be the fall of the empire, ultimately. Like when you're spending more money on killing other people than taking care of your own people, you've crossed over into what I could, it's like a failed society. It's a failed, oh. it's a failed experiment. We are a failed society. I mean, yeah. I'm in Los Angeles where, you know, on just about every street corner is some new fancy building, high rise, expensive, you know, $3,000, $4,000 a month, one bedroom apartments. And right next to it is a, a homeless encampment, like a tent city. And you know, one of the reasons why I'm I'm anti-war is I'm a comedian who I did shows for the military in Iraq and Afghanistan and Kuwait. And I saw I saw several things. I saw the military industrial complex profiting from this. I also saw the economic conscription of Americans who were like, I don't have a lot of money. There was no opportunities. I couldn't afford college. You know, I lived in, you know, fill in the blank, small town America. So it was like work at the Walmart, flip burgers sell oxycontin or join the military yeah. and that's the those are the options and that's a failed state that's a failed empire where the only way you can get health care or your college paid for is to go fight in some war that profits you know Ro boeing and raytheon and those companies so and and I also, you know, lost my home to the housing crisis and I saw Bush and Obama bail out the banks and then six million foreclosures happened and nobody went to jail and it's going to happen again. Right. We're, we're like, we're going to have another financial collapse. So it's like, and this is a threat. My comedy is a threat. It's, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. 
When we have guests like Mike Figueredo come on the show, and we love him dearly, and obviously he's in that that corner of fear because he's part of the LGBTQ community. But what you see here, and this was the biggest takeaway. I love from this. The, this the is so good. So for those of you who may or may not know, there was a pride parade over the weekend in Washington, D.C. We're only in Washington, D.C., and maybe a few other places could they get away with this bullshit, which, of course, was one of the floats was Lockheed Martin's float. And it's oh just, I mean, the the absurdity at this point, the fact this that they're so literally good. just throwing it right in your face, it's like... Where else do you need to look but to realize that it's all just one big scam? That's all this is. So, but no, wait, but they're but they're pro LGBTQ, so that's all good. So, in other words, the the the, the drones are rainbow flags. Drop the be- yeah. drop the bombs with the rainbow flag attached, and it's all good. Well, or did they just equally kill LGBTQ people abroad? As they like, like maybe they're just very equal opportunity murderers. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, this is the, the sort of, you see how this, the corporate state, the ruling elites basically whitewash to get people, they, this is how they get people to vote against their own interests. I mean, it's like, so now the LGBTQ community, which probably by and large would be, if you were to ask them or poll them would be pretty anti-war. It'd be my guess. And, but you know, Hey, we're going to support Lockheed Martin because, as you said, they're going to drop rainbow flag bombs on poor people in the Middle East. It's 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 how they keep doing it. It's it's how the you know the the right uses the Second Amendment and the Bible to get conservative red state voters to vote against their own interests, and the left, the you know the, the Democrats use identity politics. So now it's like we're voting for the 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 gay pride war float. I mean, that's it's, what it's, that is. It's a gay. Uh, that to me is like Jews for Jesus. Like the whole idea of like when I think of a pride thing, I'm thinking rainbows and unicorns. Like I'm thinking that. In fact, I've been to pride. It is rainbows and unicorns. Right. Like that is the whole point of pride. And the whole concept of a war company even participating in that is just the, the irony is suffocating. And yeah. It's, and it's being noticed it, is the question. Yeah, it, it is. The irony is suffocating. I mean, this is like this is like when Shell Oil is like, we're helping the environment, you know? Right. And, you know like, <laughs> no, you're not. No, and the goal, of course, is to continue to whitewash the realities of what the war machine represents. Lockheed Martin is on par with Raytheon, with Boeing, with General Dynamics. Keep in mind, I'm naming all of the biggest contributors to Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman. That these corporations are, and they've been able to successfully use this whole, uh, we're identity concerned. It's the whole thing. If there is a knock on the whole Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light circumstance is the fact that the person who greenlit that particular ad made it very clear that the reason they were doing it is because we need more people to drink alcohol. Like if that doesn't set off the alarm bells right there, that it's not about is drinking alcohol okay for you? 
You are somebody who definitely knows a thing or two about taking care of his body. So you know that alcohol is really bad for you. And so if you're trying to sell this idea that we should be figuring out ways to get more people to drink alcohol and get hooked on it, it, that's all you need to know. It is not about pride. It's not about, hey, we need to be inclusive here. No, we need to figure out how to get this additional part of the population to buy our shit. That's yeah. it. Right. Yeah. I have a question. So I didn't see this ad. I didn't see the famous Bud Light ad. But when I was putting together the graphic for this, I guess it has to do with I knew they'd used that it was a trans woman who was the spokesperson. And that was everybody's all feathers were ruffled. And so I didn't bother to watch it because I don't really care. To, I don't care either way. But then I saw the pictures. So tell me if I'm wrong. Was there somebody, and I don't care what gender or genitalia, I don't care, dressed as Audrey Hepburn? That's my question. Or am I hallucinating? Did that happen? Because I, I looked up the ad, and my question is this, and this is something, and I am not joking, seriously. They're arguing over the fact that it's a trans model. I'm infuriated that somebody took the likeness of Audrey Hepburn and showed her drinking a Bud Light. And anybody who would know anything would be equally offended by that. And I don't care what the genitals, are, that, that's irrelevant. So I'm asking you, Peter, because I haven't seen it. I just saw a still photo. Yeah, like, I mean, her hair was done, like you know, the hair was done up in a bun and it was done in a bathtub and they put a picture on the bottle. And they're going to hell. They're going to hell. And I, 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 I am now taking a stand against Bud Light for that. Because that, my friend, is offensive right there. And, 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 that, and that's the thing about this. And that's where the conversation comes full circle. Because the people who are on the right are like, how could you ever put somebody on there who's trans? We want to, you know, the horses and the cowboy and this. And all I'm thinking is, uh, did you really miss the whole message here? It isn't about a person being trans. It's about how can we sucker you into drinking more of our shit? Like, that is the whole purpose. It's like, Lockheed Martin is thinking, how can we sucker more people into thinking that our corporation is a good corporation? That's we Rainbow care Capital about gay people. Excuse us, excuse us while we go and kill hundreds of thousands of all Ukrainians and Russians. But just know that we think really, really highly of the LGBT <laughs> community here in America. So that should make it OK. I don't know yeah. how that's just lost on people. But I'm, I'm also beginning to think that maybe it isn't as lost as we once thought it was, because I do think that the more the economy spirals out of control, the more people are looking at this type of thing and thinking, maybe you really aren't doing anything to help working people in this country. I, I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to that. And I'm wondering if you're noticing that on the comedies on the circuit when you're out there and meeting with people that are, you know, everyday people. And I would imagine that they have become very, not only vocal, but I think there's also this yearning. And look, you know, we, we don't have to get into Jimmy, but, you know, the one thing we could say about him is that, and we've been to his shows, he gets 500 people there and they are very politically aware. Like they know that's, that shit is wrong and being informed is important. And I do think that having more of the George Carlin appeal to comedy is something that a lot of people should be embracing. And I'm wondering from your perspective, if they are, you know, I think it's, it's, I think people, th that's the one thing that will, you know, get Americans to wake up is when they can't pay their bills, when, you know, they go to the grocery store and, you know, it used to be $50 worth of groceries and now they're spending $120 worth of groceries. 
And that, that, that's when, that's when Americans are going to go, wait a minute. I mean, and I think uh, you're seeing it in a lot of comedians and performers that I'm talking to have been touring just in the last year or the last six months even are like some markets, we get good ticket sales and some markets we don't because people like money's tight and there might be still some people, you know, don't want to go out because of COVID. I don't know, but like definitely it's, you're, you're seeing it because that affects people's daily lives. I mean, all these other anti-war stuff, people I don't think can make the connection or they're just too busy, you know, in this uh, capitalist nightmare of having to work themselves to the bone just to barely pay their bills that they don't have a lot of time to be like, yeah, I guess that war stuff's bad, but you know, but, but inflation recession that comes right knocking on your front door and you have to deal with it. So it feels like people are going to want that. Uh, I'm going to, you know, are, are going to be forced to pay attention to this. I mean, that's why the thing, the, the labor movement in this country is actually the one sort of silver lining that I'm seeing. You've had over 300 Starbucks have been unionized. You've got what's going on with Amazon, uh, even in LA. So the WGA, the Writers Guild is on strike. My union, SAG-AFTRA, just voted for strike approval. And we're in negotiation right now. And our contract is up June 30th. And we could be on strike in two weeks uh, because 97% of the membership voted for strike authorization. And, um, and the other thing too, like what I'm seeing with the WGA just here in LA, the DSA is supporting the WGA strike. They're, they're striking and they're, they're walking picket lines in solidarity. They're showing up with like water and snacks and stuff like that for people. Um, and so that's the thing where people are waking up because I, I think I think the pandemic really made people go, wait a minute. When you know everyone was stuck at home, couldn't work, and some people lost their jobs. Some people were able to work through the pandemic, and that was fine. But some people lost their jobs, and they're like, and we saw what an essential worker was, and it wasn't a billionaire. It was yeah. somebody that drove a truck, you know, and yeah. it was somebody that like stocked the shelves, and so. I think that kind of made a lot of Americans go, wait a minute, man. And then, you know, you, you see all this bailout money and the stimulus money and this trillions of dollars. And you're like, well, I got a little bit of money, but I didn't, you know, I mean, you even just read the news. If you're a small business owner, you have to pay back your, your PPP or your SBA loan. Right. But yeah. the big wall street people got their loans forgiven. So that, of course, when that happens to you directly, like what happened to me losing my house, like me going to war zones and seeing the war machine up close and seeing like working class Americans having to fight these wars while these massive corporations made big profits. When it affects you personally on a daily basis, that's when people are, are forced to confront it and potentially are, are, are going to wake up and go, yeah, I think you're right. I don't get a lot of resistance to my comedy special. I don't get a lot of people going, no, because they, I, they might say, well, this party is a little worse than the other one. And I go, really? <laughs> and, but I, I'm getting a lot of people watching it going, oh man, this is awesome. You're right. People who, when they hear like LA comedian doing politics, they just assume I'm going to be like Bill Maher or whatever, just calling up, blaming everything on the Republicans. And I don't know, it feels like some Americans are going to be forced to confront. And, and by the way, we're a collapsing empire, you know, by the way, a bunch of countries are announcing that they're not using the dollar anymore. The African yeah. 
uh, union just said, we're done using the dollar. The BRICS countries are done using the dollar. That's big. And so America's losing its ability to sanction and, and threaten people. So we're in interesting times living in America, being a comedian in a country that's a collapsing empire. We'll see what, we'll see what my next special is about. Yeah, I mean, look, we're definitely seeing increased censorship all over the place. That's what happens as an empire starts like in its death rows, grasping for power and trying to stifle any sort of like opposition. And I, I, you know, I didn't comment on it before, but when you had mentioned George Carlin, I have very often over the past few years really thought, God, that would be such a welcome like opinion right now. That would be such a welcome presence right now. And I, I've wondered, like, can you imagine what he would say about like the whole Trump thing. Like, I, I can't, it's almost like it would, he wouldn't even, I don't even know if he would know what to do with himself with that. Like that, that writes itself. Like, I don't even know, like, but we need that. So I'm very appreciative that you're doing that. And I've always thought this, that comedy is really like the first level of where censorship happens. Um, it's there at around the same time it happens to the media and it's very, very scary. And I've always thought that. And I think that people need to take that very seriously because comedy is that speaking truth to power. It's sort of like another branch of that. So it's very important. Um, and I, and I've never, and I'll say it straight out. I don't care about people's feelings. I really don't. I'm not interested in your feelings. I don't care if they're hurt. I don't give a shit. And I love how Ricky Gervais says, like, how entitled are you that you think you get to go through your whole life without ever having your feelings hurt or being offended? Like, who are you? Get over yourself. I've, I am very anti-censorship across the board. But, um, yeah, people need to just, like, kind of grow pairs, don't you think? Yeah. And it's 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 a I mean, the censorship isn't just my special. My YouTube channel got demonetized over two years ago. Yeah. So they took away my ability to make money. Um, I mean, it's it's been, I've had all my social media throttled and yet I'm still growing. I mean, my Instagram has gone from 8,000 to 13,000 followers in two, three months just because my specials come out. Nice. And so that's been great because I think people ultimately are going to find it and they're going to spread the word. And this is hilarious. And to your point on George Carlin, you know, what he, what I want, I'd love to know what he would be saying if he was alive today. Well, what's happening. I'm seeing even people like young people on TikTok and Instagram taking clips of his specials and putting his clips out there. Good. Cause what he's saying is more relevant now than ever when he's like, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Or the other famous line he had from a special from, I think the early two thousands was, um, uh, it's called the American dream because you got to be asleep to believe it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that- he was he was special and and there and and definitely covered things that a lot of people wouldn't touch and did so brilliantly. That's the thing. Like it's so like to me and I always sort of think of him whenever I hear uh, Dave Chappelle a lot. You know, like it's very reminiscent to me of just the using smarts and just having conversations and pointing out things that are just really like truths. And I think it's very, very important. And also somebody who gets like canceled and censored and all sorts of problems. Yeah. I mean, Carlin's live shows that he was doing towards the end of his life were still packed with people. And it was all, all while it was like teenagers all the way up to to people in his age group. I mean, it was like fascinating and it was a testament to his message of calling out the whole system is corrupt and, and really kind of sticking up for average Americans is what the comedian should be doing. The comedian yes. is the working man's entertainer. The comedian is the average Joe. It's the, it's the regular person talking about all this ridiculous stuff. 
and some comics, when they get rich and famous, they kind of lose sight of that um, because they're not struggling anymore. So I, I just was trying to keep that that alive, uh, both in my special manifest it that's on YouTube, and then I, I did this. I've been doing this political game show. Anything can happen. We did a live version of it in April in front of an audience. And George Carlin's daughter Kelly was there. And she's like, that's "Man, awesome. this show's great." It's a game show that shows how ridiculous both parties are and how ridiculous the American system is. Um, it's what I do with Lee Camp and I do with Government Secrets. It's like my whole life's work now is to entertain and educate. And because I, but when you make somebody laugh, they're less likely to feel offended or get or argue with you. You know, if you, yeah. if you, if you make them, if you're getting them laughing, they're going to go, man, that's a good point. I didn't know that I agreed with you, but dang, you got me laughing. You, I'm seeing, I'm seeing you side. I'm seeing all yeah. things messed up and it's kind of great. So I'm going to keep going until they censor me. I mean, I, I might have to do stand up, you know, in Costa Rica and El Salvador or something because I can't, you know. <laughs> you know, you say that like it's a bad thing. As someone who's a big fan of Costa Rica, I actually can tell you it's amazingly good there. And if I didn't have children, I'd be living there. Also, they don't have a military. Yeah, they're the they're the uh, the Switzerland of Latin America. Yeah. If everybody's offended by Donald Trump especially on the liberal side of politics. I would force him to watch uh, the very first stand-up uh, at Dangerfields of the Dice Man. So if you really want to be offended, <laughs> I, I would say that that would be a prime example of just how that bad- That never bothered me. I used to hate that people wanted to cancel Dice. Like I remember that back in the day was such a big thing. He All he was doing was saying nursery rhymes. Like Little I don't understand why people- tough it, you know? Like that. It's like, he was great. It, but it's funny. It's that like, for God's so sake, just it's the one thing that I will say. And Bill Maher is a prime example of a guy uh, who has way too much money and time on his hands. Uh, it is definitely a class war for, for, you know, it's a class thing for him now. hundred percent. He's not that guy that you probably even knew personally in the nineties when he was coming up to the circuit. It's like, that's not him anymore. Uh, but for those that have gone through it and those that understand that when you're amongst the people, when you never want to leave that element, it's very soothing to be in an audience. You know, we went to see Michael Rappaport and when Michael Rappaport is not pretending to be, because that's what he's doing, pretending to be a shit lib on Twitter. He is actually really good when he's on stage and making fun of everybody, making fun of Trump and making fun of Biden. And it's like that. It, do not be afraid to just do it and just go with it. And I'm thinking we could really use that dose of honesty and reality in the, in, especially when it comes to comedy. And so I think the, the best way to wind down this conversation, obviously the big news the other day, because obviously you, as much as anybody, have been adamant that the two-party system is a joke, it won't work, and we have to try something else. So what are your thoughts on, obviously, Dr. West uh, deciding to run in the Green Party? Uh, clearly, that was the right choice. If you're going to do it outside the two-party system, you need ballot access, you need some ID. Uh, he clearly is, when people are already trying to compare him to Jill Stein, I'm like, if you haven't heard Dr. No. West give a speech, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what's coming because I actually was at the event at the, the People's Convention in Philly in 2016, where I had the pleasure 
for the very first time of hearing Nina Turner give a speech in person and then hearing Jill Stein follow up that speech. And I'm almost like, there is no following up after Nina Turner. Once you get her, that's that. And the same is true of Dr. West. There is something very powerful about his message, and especially at a time with what we're living in right now. I think he's going to be a lot more formidable than people think in terms of people's interest in wanting to get involved. How do you see it? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the, and look, I, I I love Dr. Stein. I had her on my show. I've met her. She came to one of our Ron Proponenti shows in Boston in 2019. Um, it comes out of this simple fact, too, and just more people know who Cornell West is. I mean, that's, that was evidenced when he first announced over a week ago, when he first announced with the People's Party, it was on CNN. And so why I think, you know, and I'm glad he moved to the Green Party. I talked about it on my show several times. Um, Green Party is not perfect, but like you say, it has ballot access and all these things that the People's Party doesn't have. Um, and I think, you know, first, I think I, I, everybody, every like independent, progressive, left person, whatever you call yourself, step back for a second, just take a breath. There's no Luke Skywalker coming to blow up the Death Star and save the galaxy. Like just, you got to know that going in. Like I'm a, I'm a fan of Dr. West. I'll vote for this man. First of all, there's 16, what, 15, 16 months until November exactly. 24. Any number of crazy things can happen. American politics are insane. This will be the the craziest election cycle we have ever seen. Like literally, it could be Lady Gaga and The Rock. Like literally, in in like in a in the octagon fighting it out. I mean, it could be that insane. Like I have, so I'm 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 I think Dr. West can do a lot of great things. A get the Green Party on the map. Get a lot of down ballot wins for Green Party people because that's what the Green Party and or any third party really needs to do. It needs to get people in the Congress, in the Senate, yep. state legislature, school boards, governorships, um, you know, city councils. It needs to do that. And I think his his notoriety will help with that. Not to mention, as you said, his messaging. He is the most unifying guy you're ever going to meet. I mean, he literally is like, my brother's in the Ku Klux Klan. You know, we got some different yeah. ideas. Like that, that's the problem I've always had with the Green Party is they just do too much preaching to the choir. What I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm confident he'll do this because he'll, I'm sure he's going to have Chris Hedges working on his campaign. Yes. What West and the Green Party needs to do, go into red states and go, actually, the Green Party is better for you than the Republicans. And we hate the Democrats too. So yeah. like that's, he has a potential here. Is he going to win? And be, I don't think he's got a chance of winning. I'd love to be wrong. What do I know? I'd love to be wrong. But I think if we go into this, like if they get 5% of the over 5% of the vote, they get more federal funding and they should get national ballot access. So what yeah. this can do is give the green party national ballot access and get, like I said, some down ballot wins to all of a sudden, oh, well, there's a couple people in Congress that are greens. There's a senator that's a green. Like, wait a minute, now, now we're starting to see these two parties can't have control of the House and the Senate anymore. And we could get some greens winning in some red states, which is like that have been completely abandoned by the Democratic Party. That's a strategy too. The Democrats, they're not even trying in Texas. Well, the greens are because we're not them, you know? And it, it could be a very significant thing to the to the discussion of democracy that you guys were having with Mike right before I came on of like democracy, we need to have a national debate on things. We should have discussions, not yelly match, F you, F you on social yeah. cancel, but like 
we need to we need to sit down and listen to other points of view. And he has the ability to do that because the right, the red and the blue are not listening. They don't want, they're just going to yell and fight. And you have one little, you know, if you say anything, you know, whatever, you put a trans person on the butt light, I'm done. You know what I mean? And you, you question anybody in the LGBTQ community, you're, 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 you're committing hate speech. And that's, that's not, that's not logical. And that's not a democracy. We should be able to have discussions about this without it going nuts and without having uh you know lockheed martin have a rainbow float like let's get those people out of the way and let's have a real political discussion and debate on how on what's wrong with america and i think dr west can will will have great discussions and debates the democrats are going to go after him hard because he's they already are. They already oh, yeah. are. Anyway, my uh, my concern, my concern is um what APAC and DMFI are gonna go. Um they're gonna they're gonna like you know, his stance on Israel um is definitely gonna be like get in the crosshairs. Sure. And that's where like, you know, folks like us, your show, my show we have an opportunity to be like, yeah, we should talk about APAC. You know, we, why, why do they, APAC controls the Democratic Party the way the NRA controls the Republican Party. So if we're, we're, we're going to be critical of the NRA, then we should be critical of APAC. That's the same thing. Like, yeah, we, we got to have reasonable conversations about the, what the gun issue, you know, and, and, you know, I was just in Mexico. I did shows in Cancun. And people were like, oh, Graham, Mexico's not safe because of the gun violence and the cops are corrupt. And I was like, do you know what country you live in? Like, you know, America is is totally safe as long as you don't go into a, a school, a grocery store, a Fourth of July parade, a concert, uh, your office, a mall. Um, movie theater. Any, movie theater, uh, nightclub, dance club, um, right. anything like that. As long as you don't go to anything, your home's not safe, um, where you work's not safe, schools aren't safe. As long as you don't go to any of those places, you're totally safe in America. Yeah. So um, I, I really want to see some real conversations being had and this deliberate polarization by the two parties to keep Americans fighting. So each party can literally just go, you got to vote for us because we're not them. You know, the, if you vote Republican, they're going to they're going to take away Roe v. Wade and outlaw gays. If you, you know, what are they, what are they, what do red state politicians say? If you vote for the Dems, they're going to take away your guns. Like yeah. that's, and they're going to make all your kids trans. Like they, they, both parties use this crazy fear shit. And it's not, it's not how Americans operate. It's not how I've traveled all over this country. There's like, you guys were saying again in the segment before I came on, they, the media just shows these, these, extremes from either view or side and it's most americans like you really when you sit down and talk to americans they're like ah, they're, they're center left they're center right they're a little bit of this they're a little you know they're they're like you yeah. know i'm a gun owner but this is nonsense what the nra is doing i've met gun owners that say stuff like that like i'm a we need real legislation like i've heard <clears throat> listen it's like know, going through it's it's like showing up at a desantis rally and one of the people there either has a confederate flag or dare i say even a nazi flag and i'm thinking there's over 20 million people in this state, but you want to yep. pinpoint this one person out of the whole group who's a wackadoo. 
It's so it's, incendiary. It's right. so much more incendiary. I mean, and then of course the whole party just runs with it. And they're like, you see, you see, it's like, it's almost as if because you're completely ca- captured by corporate special interests that you have nothing else to offer. So let's right. just figure out a way to yeah. pinpoint that one person like, you see, you don't want to support that side. Mm-hmm. And even though our side sucks, you definitely want to come with us. And it, I don't think it's working like it used to. I think a lot of people are starting to see through it and they've had yeah. it. And that's getting back to your initial question. Uh, and I know we're probably running out of time, but like, this is why Dr. West is actually setting foot in a really interesting time with the Green Party. There yeah. was a poll in the Hill that was done right after the midterms in November that that uh, they were asked if it's Trump versus Biden again in 24, 59% said they're going to vote third party. That's all, That's almost two thirds of the country are done with this. Yeah. So it could be it's an opportunity and he's got his work cut out from he's got the Democratic machines going to try to crush him and they're going to accuse him of God knows what, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. but Americans are fed up. That's for certain. Yeah. And I think it's important what you said before, what you touched on, because I've said it a million times about the comparison between the NRA and groups like APAC. And I think it's very important that people understand that our congresswoman is always bragging on that, you know, she wouldn't, she's so strong on the gun issue and she's so good and she wouldn't take money from the NRA and she wouldn't take money from it. No, she's just an APAC darling and takes money from Raytheon and Northrop Grumman. And, and to me, it's like, if you're taking corporate money, you're condoning that system. So then you don't get to say that the NRA is the problem in and of itself. No, the problem is that you're for sale in the first place. And that's really what they're trying to, avoid. you can blame the, the lobbyists, I've always found that ridiculous. They don't have an obligation to me. Those are not my employees. My employees are in Congress. And so they are the ones who should be wearing body cams. They are the ones who are accountable to me. Lobbyists are just paid to do what they're doing. Yeah. That's not the problem. They're not the problem. It's why are our people for sale? That's the problem. Uh, it's like a chicken and the egg thing. I, I think that the problem is with corporate lobbying is that you're not talking about a few thousand bucks, you're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, depending on what line of work you're in. So if you're talking about, for example, uh, Mr. Shitlib himself, who may be your congressman, Adam Schiff, you know, you're talking about a guy who's taken millions of dollars from various corporate entities within society. And even though he says he supports Medicare for all, his numbers say otherwise. He is in no obligation to be in a position where he would have to do anything other than just, you know, play that card because he knows that currently speaking, there is no chance that that is being brought up for a vote. Now, that's not to say that, you know, what is Katie Porter or Barbara Lee going to do if they got into the Senate? But the bottom line is better than him, uh, infinitely better than him. And look, when you have the opportunity to vote for a better opportunity within a political party, then you do what you can. At the end of the day, Schiff is a great example of just uh, another person who is not only open for business, but will go to the highest bidder. So this idea that lobbying money doesn't have an effect or why are you taking that money? It's very tempting to not only take their money, but then there's all these underhanded deals. Kirsten Cinema is a great example of that. Everyone's like, why does she do this? I'm like, would you like to check her bank account? Check her bank account in the Cayman Islands and you'll find out exactly why she does what she does. She'll probably have $15 million waiting for her the second she gets out of the Senate. So which is me, why she doesn't care about getting reelected, which is what I mean. If she gets reelected, it's just because, you know, that's a bonus. I like don't think she cares. 
No, I really don't. I, I think don't. she's looking for a nice consulting gig somewhere, maybe in the Caymans. Good riddance. So, yeah, it's definitely the system. No question about it. And obviously there's uh, there's there's obviously a lot of ground we're going to cover over that time. And hopefully we will be able to do that again. What are you currently working on? Do you currently have any upcoming He's dates? currently working on Manifest It and promoting it. You have upcoming comedy shows or a website where people can go and check out your work. Please let us know where. Yeah. If you go to GrahamElwood.com, you can watch Manifest It. You can, uh, I'll be announcing more tour dates in the summer. I'm actually traveling to El Salvador next week to uh, see how that country's been changed by Bitcoin and stuff. And I'm, I'm putting together a documentary that I'm going to shoot in the fall. So I'm raising funding for that. But yeah, if you go to GrahamElwood.com, you can see all my podcasts and sign up for my newsletter. And you can put your zip code in there to where I can see where you're living. To not, not creepy. Are you NSA coming style, to our but, house? Like, are you? Yes, I'll, I'll invade your home with my, uh, my socialist comedy. No, but then I can see who lives where to where I can, you know, what parts of the country I can do more shows in those regions. You get a free vegan smoothie. Are you recipe. coming back to are, Florida anytime? I'm trying. I'm trying to set up shows. You know, we had two tours set up there in 2020. Like it, we don't like so much, socialists here, Graham. We're, we, we have some serious anti-Cuban sentiment. We are not fans of socialists, but I'm just letting you know. I know. I know. They equate socialism with like the Communist Party of Cuba and Castro, which is <laughs> not the socialist. It's every it. time you mention socialism, all they do is say Cuba and Venezuela. That's yeah, all they got. Yeah. Don't worry. I know. No. They're running so, out yeah, of- go to grandmelwood.com and, and get on my mailing list. Because the other thing, when you're on a mailing list, I, you know, I get censored and blocked. And you can follow me on social media, which is a great, and I appreciate it. But they, those tech companies can mess with that. They can't mess with a mailing list. So right. that's why I say watch the special and sign up for the mailing list because we'll be do- doing more live shows. We're doing Government Secrets Live. We're going to be doing this uh, Anything Can Happen game show live. We're going to be selling live streaming tickets for that. Um, and I want to hang out with you and Lee. I want to hang out and chat with you and Lee. That sounds like totally fun. I'm surprised you guys can get that much done and not just be cracking up. I mean, I know it's serious, but that's just got to be funny. It's a blast. It's, yeah. We talk about these really heavy subjects and then just and laugh about how absurd the America is and the CIA and everything. We literally did the show. It was Lee's idea. He goes, Graham, we both talk about all these heavy subjects on our on our respective YouTube shows. Um. And it's to breast, it's depressing. I was like, so why don't we talk together? Cause we just make each other laugh. So it's yeah. really just about making each other laugh. This is the best part of the show. I wish I had that. Peter sometimes makes me laugh, but sometimes he <laughs> makes me sad. So we don't know. It just depends on the day. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can, I can be entertaining. I could tell you just how great you are, but I could also tell you that, you know, we got to stick together and we're going to make this country. <laughs> but don't forget who really screwed this country over royally. And it was definitely my fault that you lost your home. So don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're definitely not in a we're not in a good way. But I think the more we we unify uh, around the working class agenda, the labor agenda, which is what we're fighting for, and we sure as hell know you are fighting on that front, Graham. Thank you for all that you do. I am very much looking forward to watching that comedy special. Yes. We've obviously uh, had the pleasure of seeing you in person multiple times. And if you, you come back, we'll go. I'll go. Yeah, absolutely. great. Yeah, and, and uh, if you watch the special and you like it, you know, put it on your social media so more people oh, can yeah. check it out. Thank Amen. you so much, Graham. Thanks, guys. Be well, brother. He's great.
Well, and, and you know, of course, it's extra special for me just because I always like having a gram. You know, yeah, I have well, a much like, well, you know, gram of this, gram of that, your son, gram, well, practice, gram my son, gram my son. Yes. You know, and I do like a gram. And actually, one of the reasons I named Graham Graham is the two grams that I knew growing up were both really cool. So that was sort of, and I like the single syllable thing. That was also part of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, Graham's just, yeah. We have one last thing to do before we go, but of course, if you guys have been hanging around for a while and you know what our shtick is and you hope you like it, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become an amazing supporter of our channel. Of course, anyone who signs up does get the Lulu sticker. It is very cute and adorable. Is Lulu still awake or is she sleepy sleepy right now? Jenna's going to figure out if she can get Lulu to come join us for a minute. You can just see how adorable this little munchkin really is. Uh, she's uh, definitely, oh, there she is. Hey, little munchkin. Oh, her ear, her ear. Hi, Lulu. Oh, yeah, she's definitely going to sleepy town. No question about it. She's so been stunning herself a lot. Mm. So, so I think yeah, it really shows. Let me tell you, for ten dollars a month, we don't have many left, but you get the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker, and we appreciate yeah. any and all support that you would give. But if you are feeling extremely generous, and and you know what, we are offering this. If you would like to be a twenty-five dollar a month patron of our channel, we certainly would appreciate it. But for those who do donate twenty-five dollars, you will get either in the generational change jersey or. We also have the purple Here Comes the Sun generational change shirt. So if you want to do that, the easiest way is to go over to Cash App, dollar sign, gen change, and make that contribution. Any and all is appreciated. But as we mentioned, for $25, you can get yourself one of our amazing shirts. You know you'd love to have one. They're really, really awesome. Really incredible. Okay, so, so let's get into story time for a second. So last but not least before we go, and uh, just so you know, uh, next Monday, we're working on an additional guest, but right now our main guest for next Monday is an amazing video content creator. You all know him, Matt Orfala. He does he incredible video splicing of the hypocrisy of the two-party system. We're going to show some of those video clips. There's certainly no shortage of material for him to work 100%. with. 100%. Always got some really good stuff to cover. And let me tell you, if you guys have not seen the video clip of him breaking down the sort of 1984-like approach to COVID, oh my goodness, that thing is nuts. So definitely check that out if you have the opportunity. Uh, Jen, you were going to say? I was going to do, well, we were going to talk about the story time, yes? Yes. Okay, so guys, everybody, look, we've already talked about it a bunch of times. We covered when, when Cornell West announced he was running and he was running with the People's Party. We, all, we covered it. We said and talked about what a lot of other people were thinking and talking about, which has now ultimately led to him. Hopefully, that's, you know, a sign of somebody listening to reason, right? You hear things and you make different decisions when you have new information. So we now know that Cornell is running in the Green Party. And what we were well, anticipating... Uh before you continue, Big Dumb Animal, an amazing supporter of the show, would we consider doing an annual membership on Patreon for a bit less money? Like, yes. Absolutely. I would. And in fact, I will go on and set something like that up for you accordingly. I will. I'll, I'll look. Yeah, I'll do that. 
Big we'll dumb animal. Any way we can get it. So yes. we're not. Please, please shoot. Please shoot an email over to generationalchange at gmail.com. And yes, guys, we we can definitely come up with that if you think that that would be easier. Sure. Uh, for you know, we want to give everybody an opportunity to have that choice, and that will certainly be a big help to our show. So yes, one hundred percent, we will take care of that. Email at generationalchange at gmail dot com. Thank you so much, big dumb animal, Jen. Thank as you. you were saying. So what I was saying. So what the only question that was sort of remaining for us once we found out that Dr. West was going to um, smartly transition over to the Green Party, and the only real question was was how what was going to be the response from the People's Party. At what level of professionalism, what level of maturity would be exhibited by the People's Party as their public response to Dr. West moving to the Green Party? And so we have a story time for you, people. Yeah, uh, there was absolutely no way uh, for those of you who, again, yes, it's Nick Brana. It's not the People's Party. It is one person and one person only who basically calls the shots and as uh, as Jen likes to say, he definitely had his Marsha Marsha moment when it was clear. First of all, it was probably coming already in lieu of the fact that there was video footage captured of Chris Hedges at a worker strike back event specifically exactly. saying that, yeah, he should not be running in the People's Party. I'm going to be talking to him about running in the Green Party. That's where it should happen, et cetera, et cetera. So even before this news broke, that he yesterday decided that he was going to be running. We saw it coming. We, we saw it coming. So what we anticipated a, a type of petulant child tantrum, because that's what I would expect. And so for today's story time and crybaby politics, let us show you what the actual response was from the People's Party. Breaking. Cornell West has announced a switch to the Green Party, folding to social folding uses the word folding to social media and family pressure. So let's start with that right off the bat. He is already alluding to this idea that the opinion of his family, let's just say that that even had anything to do with it, is not as important as his opinion about where he should be running for president. So there's that. The excitement over the phenomenal, phenomen, phenomenal launch executed by the People's Party on our invitation to carry him, carry him. As Wait, what are you carrying him? Oh, to carry him as a candidate while likely dis, will likely dissipate as a result of the flip flop. So they're calling this a flip flop. So the six-year relationship, he's basically saying the six-year relationship, which now no longer exists. Exactly. BP had with West led to the invitation to run as our candidate, as if to say he should be grateful that we even allowed him to run as our candidate. Right, because that's, that's what we thought. We thought that he should be thanking you, not the other way around. West had to consider the other political influences of his family after he agreed to run with PPP, with PPP, with PP, it should be MPP, that would be a little bit less confusing, resulting in a change of mind. He got his mind right, and he shouldn't have done that. So if any of you guys went online and followed that tweet, which I normally don't, I, you guys know I'm not on there, but Peter, Peter had forwarded me the response. 
And so I did take it upon myself to go and scroll and look at some of the comments. And I wanted to give a, a total personal shout out to Eliza Bear. Is this is this person's name? I don't know her. I don't. I'm not on Twitter. But if you would, please, because of all the responses, this one most succinctly summarized my what I would say to Nick Rana. So if you would. Thank goodness. Don't be little bitches about it. People's party. We have a better shot with a more legitimate and less scandal ridden party. Not even hesitating to throw that in there. Not to mention the terrible memes this account has posted in the short time I have followed it. This catty little post is definitely solidifying the position many of us took when urging Mr. West to switch to the Green Party. That and the obvious issue of y'all only having ballot access in Florida. So there you go. So thank you, Eliza Bear, for that. I very much appreciate it because I don't know how to respond on that. So I appreciate that you said what I was thinking. Thank you. Uh, what do you think? All right. So, you know, Travers is a big supporter and follower of our channel. Uh, how much do you think uh, Jimmy has uh, been reacting behind closed doors as it relates to this? I think then- probably very similarly to Nick. And I actually think, and this is what I think, I actually think the, the People's Party statement, that first part, is something that was toned down. I actually think that Nick probably had some, I don't think that's exactly what he, I think he wanted to have more of a tantrum. I think that is the toned down version, and as petty as that is, that that's the better, that's the best version they could come up with. Yeah, and then they gave like a follow-up response. There was like oh, one- about, Oh, about that you don't need ballot access if you have people willing to fight for you to get on the ballot, whatever. That was basically the gist of that ridiculous follow-up. There is a lot of things that you can say about the Green Party and the decisions that they have made over the years, particularly in 2020 when it came to Jesse Ventura and what could have been I mean, think about where we could potentially be right now if he did run in 2020 and how significant that could have been. And so now, uh, you know, and and thank you, Red Red Eyes. Uh, You know, we obviously will check out that interview if it does happen and we'll see what ultimately comes to pass. Uh, But yeah, this has been a failed experiment since day one. You know, we both tuned in to the launch of the people. It was in August Party. of 20. I thought, okay, this is promising. And I think that, you know, look, the fact that you have someone like Chris Hedges, um, who was a speaker at that event and who has subsequently, obvi- you know, realized that this is not taken off to what he thought it had the promise to be or whatever, and at least has the wherewithal to like say something about it. And I think that's very telling because Chris Hedges was one of their speakers of that launch. Yeah. And there was a plethora of big names that showed up. And I'm thinking, well, if they bring this together cohesively, there's no telling what could happen. The truth of the matter is, at that time, they really needed to just come together and figure out how they were going to take over, let's say, the Green Party. Because if there is already all of this work that took years and years and years to put into place, it really would speak uh, to great volumes about exactly, what Exactly, Travers. Exactly. Yeah what it would take to really build out this very effective third-party operation. 
Um, and at that time, whether it was Nina, whether it was Chris Hedges, whether it was Marianne Williamson, whether it was Dr. Cornell West, whether it was a litany of other people that were there, uh, that could have manifested itself into something really big and really effective if there was enough juice put behind it. The problem, of course, was Nick Brana. And this became his pet project. And I do think part of the reason why it was able to go to this length, uh, you know, just a total spiral case, uh, has a lot to do with the fact that he is a spoiled child who has a father who has basically been funding this operation for some time to the tune of God knows how much money. I don't even want to imagine. Uh, but a lot of that derailment that was happening on the left was seized out from somebody like him. And of course, it could have been done for good. No one was saying that just because he comes from money that it couldn't have been utilized in an effective way. Ultimately, his decision was a vanity project for himself and not for the movement. And of course, we saw the abuse of power that he enacted in attempts to run his own pet project literally into the ground, which is what happened. So now what's going to happen with Dr. West as he forges on with the Green Party? Well, like we said, if they're going to try to do what we try to do down here in Florida, which is transform politics into service and not just make this about running for you know president of the United States with a dark horse candidate hoping yeah. to turn into a unicorn, you know, 999 times out of a thousand not happening. But what you choose to do with that run is going to be the key. Are you yeah, going to be is that going to spawn down ballots? Is, is it going to spawn? Is it going to spawn petition drives to get ranked choice voting on the ballot? You know, there is a lot that could be done if strategy is at the forefront of this campaign. We'll know very quickly if this is for real or if it's a joke. You yeah. know, everyone's got their panties in a bunch about, oh, my God, he shouldn't be running. Well, what is he going to do? And the truth of the matter is he's actually getting into this race at the right time. He's getting in. It's it's early, but it's not too early, and it's certainly not too late. There is a lot that could happen between now and next summer when the two nominees for the respective two major parties are decided. So depending on how that shapes up, there is a lot that can happen in terms of building out that infrastructure. I yeah. like that. <laughs> very, very cute, Austin Whiteside. There you go. That's this is sweet. a play on words. That's sweet. Yes. Um, look, I mean, I don't think it would be a secret to anybody or a surprise that as of right now, if all the people that are in, obviously my pick would be Cornell West. And like um, you stated before, in the Democratic primary, your intention is to vote for RFK. And you know what? As that's of that moment, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I am a registered Democrat, meaning I'm going to be getting a primary ballot so I can either not fill it out. But if I were to fill it out at this exact moment, yes, I would pick of the three Democrats. Yes, I would pick RFK. Yes, I would. And then if you choose to vote in the general election, and that's the beauty of living in the state of Florida. It's a red state. So it doesn't really matter who you vote for. Not really. Now, one would say your encouragement regarding, you know, does it make a difference if you're not out there advocating for Joe? I mean, listen, the only thing we'll be advocating for in terms of the Democratic Party in 2024 is whoever is running against Rick Scott. That's our fight. That's yeah. what we're responsible for here and in Florida. And honestly, our ballot initiative. Correct. Um, I, we know that Florida has you know much better chance of succeeding when we put things on the ballot for the general population to vote on. Uh, so uh, that is what we're focusing on. But um, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I think it's gonna be a, a total shit show and I don't think it's gonna even matter quite honestly.
We're going to no, end up- You know what? We need, we need to disrupt the system. No pun intended, but we Well, do that's like when people it. say things, when you call somebody a spoiler, that's not an insult to me. I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to some spoiling. And if Cornell West runs the kind of campaign that's a real grassroots campaign, and hits local and really brings up low down ballot candidates and really helps perpetuate this movement, then that's a win. Now, if he also can get the 5%, that would be huge. Okay. Like that would be something I've been wanting to see in my life. So that would be really good too. But yeah, yeah no, there's no universe, uh, any way, shape or form, no matter what it is or who I am at that moment in terms of like professionally and what I'm doing. And you made I'm, that. I'm stumping for Joe. Yeah. And you made that very clear. And I think a lot of people, there were many instances over the course of his presidency where you can pinpoint like this was an incident, that yes. was an incident. But when he pulled that mea culpa right before the prime, right before the midterm elections with the railroad workers, that was, that was it for a lot of people. They're like, you know what? Not only did you screw them, but you lied to get the opportunity to you you actually gave them hope that you were going to do something to help them and not only did you not you lied to get the voters out there for the midterms and then you screwed them and as far as i'm concerned that's as backstabbing effery as you're ever going to see in politics not well, between in politics. that and what he's done environmentally Honestly, that and then back to back with the Willow Project. And now you've got Mountain Valley Pipeline. And it's, you know, if this president, if Joe Biden is so weak and feckless that he can't stand up to Senator Manchin, then that's not the right person for that job. I'm sorry. Like if you if you really think that the president's job is so important that we should be like it's a life or death and this election matters and we can't have the fascist. But yet then you concede that the president is so weak and feckless that nothing can get done. Both things can't be true. So either the president is strong and can get things done just by the nature of the position or that position is feckless and nothing gets done, in which case it doesn't even matter who I vote for. Like, I, I don't understand what the point is of any of this. If Joe Biden can't take like debate and take down Joe Manchin, philosophically speaking, um, then what's the point of that? then why, we, why even vote? Yeah, they're backing themselves into a very dangerous corner at this point, and they know it. Uh, it's just a question of whether enough people are just going to say we've had enough. Well, uh, I, I like Dr. West. I've always liked Dr. West. How could and you not? Quite honestly, like, oh, I, li I like Dr. West, but he's with the Greens. I can't support them. Well, I just let like him. Let me That's tell you the message, quite honestly. I don't care what party he's he's running with if he's out there promoting the right message. Now, I think he has a better chance strategically to be successful with this party versus the People's Party. But in terms of me liking what he's saying, it's like, no, the message is good. You have just a better chance of propelling that message when you have the right party behind you. Uh, I definitely agree. And it will be, listen, the one variable that's going to mean a lot for him and whether or not he is a 5% national candidate is, uh, is he going to be able to raise money? That's going to be the big thing. Well, I'll can, be signing up. I'll be can donating. He get, can, he's going to need somewhere between probably 10 to $20 million behind him. If he's able to get that over the course of a year, even on the short end, let's say he's able to get 10 million, he'll be a force. As long as the money's being properly utilized, you know, that's really what it comes down to. If the money's being used properly, there's no telling what he's going well, to be able so to do. So far, given the first strategic roadblock, 
Um, Dr. West seemed to take the advice of somebody and take it into consideration and make a wise choice accordingly. So let's hope that he runs his campaign in a similar fashion. Um, and he, you know, look, that's all you can do because a lot of these people get taken advantage of by friggin' insider grifters and even well-intended candidates that just don't want to say no to people they've been loyal to end up getting screwed over by these consultants. And then they just, it's unfortunate, but I'm hopeful that he is on the right track. If Chris Hedges is his de facto campaign manager, then I think he'll be in good shape. Yeah. He'll at least have a, he'll have a consigliere at the top that will be giving him at least relatively sound, proper advice to try to help him along the way. Uh, I think that's going to be key. It's going to be key to see if Nina decides to get involved. If she's going to, if she's going to get involved and try to help him. If Nina truly has had it with the Democratic Party, it will be interesting to see. Uh, what she chooses to do, because I think she could be a huge asset. Um, you know, good friend, obviously, as you guys know, Jordan Chariton, a status quo. He was really gung ho on Nina being the candidate to run uh, in the Democratic primary. But now uh, it's going to be interesting to see if she chooses to get involved in what capacity that may be in support of Dr. West. Um, but it will remain to be seen. Uh, Jen, tomorrow night, the Gen Z report. Yeah, hold on a second. I'm trying to get verification on the topic. New okay. Age, okay. The topic for tomorrow night is new age political movements and engagement. That is what I am being told from the Gen Zers. So, new age political movement. Movements. New age movement. political movements. New age political movements. And engagement. So, I'm assuming like what that looks like from the Gen Z perspective. What are those movements? What kind of um, where are the Gen Zers in terms of participating in those things? So, I mean, it's always interesting. And we have a really cool new method now that we learned last week, which is apparently you can just go over in a discord and bring over some people for a chat. And I got to tell you, I really think this is a really cool show concept if we do this, because the idea that our moderator goes over to discord and brings in some people for a discussion that night and have it be kind of impromptu and about, because that's what we're really trying to understand here. We're trying to get intelligent discussions by people of that age group. So I don't know, we'll see what happens tomorrow night, but yeah, it's gonna be an interesting group. Um, and yeah, support the Gen Z kids. Please do, because we certainly do. Smash the like button, subscribe, become a patron if you can, share this live stream. It definitely did pretty well tonight. Uh, really appreciate any and all support that you guys provide. Big Dumb Animal, thank you so much for the contribution. And if you are planning to become a yearly uh, contributor to our channel. Yeah, if you want to switch over, you can switch over. Yeah. 100%. And so in the meantime, thank you guys. We really appreciate you all. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.